Hi, I'm Kara Kilmer. I play Sylvie Brennan on Chicago Fire, and you are listening to Minas and Molly's. gonna be all sunshine and roses, but I can promise it's gonna be a hell of a ride. Hey, Shyhards, welcome to episode 162 of Meet Us at Molly's. Today we are covering, I guess, the mid-season finales. <laughs> <laughs> Is that not the most 2020 thing you've ever heard to have the season premiere and then the mid-season finale like a week later? I love it though. I mean, I hate it, but I also like, it's just so 2020. Like it you makes said, I love perfect it. perfect sense. Yeah. It just, it makes yeah. sense though. That's hilarious. So we are covering episodes two, obviously 602, 902, and 802. And as always, we've got a little bit of news. It's not too news heavy this week, mostly because we're back in hiatus as fast as we were out of it. Like, I know, yeah, I know, but again, so 2020 to be like, here are your shows, here are your, like, we're taking them away. I will say though, at least we're not, they're not off air again till like March or something. At least they are coming back like January 6th. It could be worse, it could be worse, it could be worse, it could be worse. Are, are, are fires two weeks up yet? A almost, I think. I hope so. I think. We've got a little bit of news today. Um, first bit is from Matt's Inside Line, and he's got two little PD scoops. There was a question in there about Atwater. So will Atwater have a love interest this season? I'm tired of seeing him as the muscle man. He needs a life outside of the district like the other characters. Who asked this question? Was it one of our listeners? I don't think so. If it was, I'm sorry, but I don't think so. No, I'm not saying, like, that's a bad thing. I'm saying, like, you know. Oh, because it's us. Yeah. Because always, yeah. So, But, like... Uh, Go ahead. No, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to read the thing because it says basically Rick I is just saying, like, there's definitely a chance of love for Atwater this season. And I'm just like, I'll believe it when I see it. Well, but also, I mean, he's got bigger fish to fry right now. Right. And I mean, obviously, I still want Atwater to have a love interest. I think I'd rather see this storyline continue to play out for a little bit longer. But I, at this point, we literally, I feel like Rick I'd said this exact quote last season and it didn't happen. So I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah. Yeah. We've been burned before, Rick. Seriously. I, I know. I know. So uh, there was also a question about Upstead and what's in store for them. And Rick said their feelings for one another are obvious. Duh. But there's a hitch. Problem is work life and a permanent job offer from the FBI make it difficult to act upon those feelings. Can we freaking not with the FBI? I know. A lot of people were freaking out about it because they were like, it's basically the same thing that happened to Lindstead. And I'm like, let's just see how it plays out. I don't know if it'll be the exact same thing, but like, let's just see how this plays out. I mean, Jay must have such an irrational hatred for the FBI. I know. I would kind of LOL, though, if he ever if he ever took a job with the FBI. I don't think it would happen, because he does probably have this irrational hatred, but if he ever took a job with the FBI, I would just, like, internally LOL. I would scream laughing if FBI ever worked in, like, a super subtle Aaron reference. If they were like, yeah, we talked with this group, and, like, Detective Lindsay, I'd be like, oh, snap, they did it! It'd be so good. But, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, that promo for next episode... Ooh, that upset crumb. Yeah. Oh, man. It looks oh, man. good. I'm excited. Yeah. So, 
The other bit of news we got was another unscripted, and this one was between Chicago Med's Marlene Barrett and FBI's Zico Zaki. I freaking love Zico. I mean, I love Marlene, don't get me wrong, but I, I love Zico. I know you do, but yeah, this was, uh, I mean, I haven't finished the whole thing yet, but it's so good. I keep meaning to check it out. I haven't had the chance, but Zico is just adorable, so I'm sure this was just like the sweetest, most enjoyable thing. Well, also, wherever he lives, that view that was in his background is just, like, amazing. I'm just so jealous. Yeah, so Zico's one of those guys who rides his Peloton, like, up against the window. He's, like, straight up, like, the Peloton ad. Um, And so every morning on his Insta, it's, like, Peloton and, like, that sweeping view. Yeah, it's unreal. Yeah, I love Zico. I just, I need to see Zico in Chicago. Like, he doesn't even have to bring everybody else. I just want him in Chicago. I know, still waiting for that. Uh, Zico, Jay, Ethan, Bromi. Like, I'm, I'm here for it. Even if you don't watch FBI or FBI Most Wanted, follow Zico on social media. You will not be disappointed. I know. The things, the TikToks that you sent me are A++. The TikToks are hilarious. He's been filming some really funny ones. His, his co-star in FBI is Missy Peregrim. She's been in a ton of stuff. Um, I know her from Stick It, the gymnastics movie, but she's been in so many things. Ricky Blue bunch of other things but uh yeah their tiktoks and their instagrams are hilarious they're so cute so definitely follow them yeah for sure yes it's about all the news we've got so um maybe we'll avoid a two and a half hour long episode this week i don't know i don't know (laughs) there's a lot to discuss there's a lot there's a lot so but as always if you see any news just send it to us you guys are great about that and we really really appreciate it so Next up before the episodes is our patron shout out. Cause, uh, hey, Brenda, did you know we're on Patreon? What? Yeah, we have a Patreon. Um, you can sign up for as little as $2 a month. And we've got cool perks on there, like a group, an access, or, bleh, sorry, I fumbled my words there. We've got really cool stuff there, like access to our special Facebook group. Um, access to bonus episodes, a discount code at our merch store, all sorts of cool stuff. So if you are interested in finding out more, head to the link in our bio and you can click on our Patreon and see what you want to do from there. So patron shout out today. We've got six, right? Six, five, five. You can't count. (laughs) No, I can't count. I can't count. Um, Amanda Brown. Thank you. We love you. You're the best. Stephanie. Oh my God, I'm going to butcher, butcher this. Stephanie Colosi. Colossi? Yeah. Um, thank you for being a patron. Awesome. Stephanie Hansen. Hey, girl. Hey. Thank you so much. Christine Schmalls. We love you. Thank you. And one of our frequent tweeters, Jamie Rivard. Jamie, we love you. You're the best. Thank you so, so much. Yeah. We love all of you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You guys are the best. Thank you so, so much. So. Without further ado, it's time to move into the episode, isn't it? Let's do it. Alrighty. First up is Med. Okay. This episode was, it was like up and down. And then like right when you thought it was going one way, it went another. And it 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 was interesting. It was a mixed bag. Yeah, I thought it was fine. I mean, like I thought the premiere was stronger. Um, but this has a lot to discuss med this episode of med has a lot to discuss a lot yeah so we'll start with will um will had an apartment lined up it fell through and will is just having a pity party i know just like everyone else in 2020 uh, yeah ain't that the truth um 
but yeah, he's just like, there's nowhere to go. Like, what am I going to do? And Maggie's like, well, why don't you move into club med? And that's when he unleashes this little bit of sadness. There's no one in my life I have to quarantine from. It's just me and my stuff. Here I am, another failed relationship, no place to live. I'm no further along than when I was a first year resident. Well, no pity parties in the ED. Yeah, I mean, I don't blame him. Like, I don't think I'd want to move into Club Med either if I didn't have to. But also, Will, you're kind of homeless, so you should move into Club Med. How sad is that when he's like, there's no one I have to quarantine from. Okay, but what if you want to see Jay? You got to quarantine to be safe, like keep Jay safe. Also, I don't understand why he didn't just move in with Jay or ask Jay to move in for temporary, temporarily. I don't understand. I definitely thought he was on the phone with Jay at first. Yeah, I did too. And then, but it was like, what? 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 Yeah, I don't understand. I don't understand. But then, like the good friend that she is, Maggie tries to talk him up. And she's like, hey, like, you could be chief. You're awesome. Like, don't get down on yourself. And he's just like, oh, okay. Yeah, because Lanik has stepped down from chief, being chief, which we gotta, I feel like we gotta just, like, address this for a hot second. I don't understand. So, did Lanik just step down because he felt the pressure? Did he quit? Is he actually gone for med for good? I have so many questions. So many questions. Nate, where are you? We have questions. I know, Nate, I need you to activate your Instagram again so we can chat, please. Just for a little. Just activate your Insta, reply to us, and then go back into social media hibernation. Right, yeah, whatever. But, like, also, he had the good hair last week, and we don't even get to see it anymore. I'm just, I'm very disappointed. Right, the, we got teased with the long hair, and then it just got snatched away from us. I, I have, I really just, though, I need to know, is Lanik just stepping down, or is he just gone for med for good? Haven't we suffered enough this year? Right? Yeah. Right? I just... So, Will gets a patient, and it's a guy in his 50s who was in a car accident. So... Here's my question. So they're, they're, they're wheeling them in and everything. And I mean, now when they bring new patients into the ED, they, they say right away, they're like, okay, well, it's this, that, this, this statistic, that statistic, they're COVID negative. And it got me thinking, there's an influencer I follow on social media and um, she recently had a baby. And when she went into labor, things were so fast that she couldn't get a COVID test. And I was just thinking, I was like, wait a second, what happens if they're positive? You know, that's a great question. Like, I don't know. What would happen to this guy? What, would, would they just tell the girl I follow on Instagram? Would they just be like, can you hold the baby in? Like, what are they going to do? I don't know. I, I'm sure that, like, in real life, hospitals have some sort of, like, even if it's just, like, a couple, like, one or two rooms on each floor. Of the, I'm sure they have some kind of way to keep those patients separate. I don't know, though. I don't know. I imagine they would go to the COVID ICU, but then, like, how does that work? I don't know. Question. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. So this guy also, he doesn't remember that he was in an accident. And so, like, we're going to circle back to that. But everybody assembles in the main room because Goodwin is, you know, like, commanding on Zoom. She's just, like, on, on her giant flat screen that just magically appears in the ED. And it's Ethan. Which, like, okay, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say was I surprised or not because we knew this in last week's promo, so it wasn't, like, a total shock. But, yeah, it definitely makes sense. Yeah, yeah. But, of course, they pan over to Will, and Will looks like somebody just told him that Santa Claus is not real. 
He really does. And like, we'll get there in a second, but did he really think it was going to be him? Yeah, and I mean, that's, that's something we need to dive into, because it seems like his only argument for that was his seniority. Yeah, I mean, he basically says he's a better doctor than Ethan, in so many words. But, yeah, he, he really tries to push the, like, I've been here longer than everyone else, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, so? Doesn't mean you're more qualified. Yeah, yeah. But also, regardless of comparing him to Ethan, I... <sighs> Like, they will really think he himself was going to be chief. I guess he did, but, like. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes perfect sense to me that it was Ethan. And if I think of the alternative of Will being chief, that just doesn't compute. With that said, however, later on in the episode when we talk about Goodwin, I'm going to lace into her. So, I mean, it, it goes both ways. But, yeah, I mean. I, I guess Will, will thought he had a legit shot solely based on his seniority uh, I, I don't know yeah this I, don't, was I don't get it yeah it's just weird the old will just kind of resurfaced in this one it really did though yeah yeah so uh, it turns out that will's patient has a pocket of air trapped in his head what yeah no i don't understand how that happens still like uh wow okay that's weird so Will congratulates Ethan on the promotion and everything, and then Ethan just kind of invites himself onto the case. That also I found was very weird. Not that he, I, not that, not that Ethan's idea to want to be more hands-on is a bad idea, because I just, I don't think that at all. I think that's actually a good idea, especially in this CD. They definitely could use some more supervision, but just for the fact that it's like, oh yeah, I'm literally... They just announced that I'm chief, and by the way, I'm going to get my hands dirty and just launch right into the job. Okay? Will is such an easy target, though. Like, he could have started with Nat, he could have started with Crockett, and he goes right for Will. I guess, but, like, I don't know. That wasn't even, like I said, that wasn't even the thing that bothered me. The thing that was, like, Ethan literally just became the ED chief .2 seconds ago, and all of a sudden... He's like, let me get my hands dirty. Let's do this. And I'm like, what? what? Also, why aren't you in the COVID ICU? That's where you've been. Like, what is happening right now? Well, you're supposed to be one week off, one week on, remember? So this is probably just his week off. I'm, I, listen, I'm just used to people not following the rules on med, okay? I mean, yeah. We'll get to that, too. Oh, yeah, we will. Yeah, we will. So, see, and uh, when this scene happened, I was like, wow, they were setting this up like Will was going to be the bad one, but actually, Ethan's in the wrong right now. Um, yes. But, you know, it, it, it ebbed and flowed, so. But Will is also not, Will is, Ethan is in the wrong, but Will is also in the wrong. Will doesn't help matters. No, he doesn't help himself. Let's no, put it that he really way. doesn't. No, so. Um, Will is thinking, like, Will's trying to trace the origin of this, like, the air in the guy's head, and so he thinks that there's a hole in the guy's esophagus from a previous procedure that he'd had, and, you know, he's tracking down the hunch, he's doing his work, you know, he's following his gut, he's just going with it, and Ethan's just kind of like, no, that's not the case, and Will's like, oh, why, why, like, why did, why do you say that, and Ethan's just like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, Ethan's like, let's look at the lungs. Let's do a bronchoscopy. And Will's like, why? <laughs> this is like when Charlie and I watch a Hallmark Christmas movie and like 
obviously the main guy is the one you have to root for and charlie roots for like the ex-boyfriend just to be opposite of course he does yeah like that that's what that is that that's all ethan's doing well like why do you think that and ethan's like i want to be a pain in the ass i don't know yeah so later on down the line will's patient crashes and so he has to make the decision to act without ethan and so he's basically telling Doris what to do. And Doris is like, well, should I page Ethan? And Will just like outbursts. He's like, Ethan's not his doctor. I am. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Calm down. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But I, re- I don't like what Ethan's doing because, I mean, he's undermining Will without realizing it, which like, okay, he doesn't realize it, but he's undermining Will and he's making Will, like, he's making everybody else doubt Will's qualifications. Right. And I think, too, the, it's an important distinction. Like, hands-on doesn't necessarily mean takeover. Yeah. Like, there, you can be involved and you can try to be there for support and to bounce ideas off of and to help out with the case, you know, cases. But, like, it's not your patient. Right. Right. So you don't get final say in things. Nope. So Abrams goes to, like, relieve the pressure and he sticks a needle through the guy's eye. I couldn't watch it. I couldn't watch it. I couldn't do it. I was good, actually. Charlie was the one who was cringing, and then I was like, they have a killer special effects team made. Like, don't even worry. This just looks super realistic. (laughs) No, 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 no. I mean, even though I knew it was fake, I knew whatever, but, like, I still couldn't do it. I don't like things with the eyes. I can barely put eye drops in my own eye. Thank you very much. Like, uh uh-uh. No way. No, 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 no. Eye drops will forever be traumatic, and I don't know why. I can't do it in my own eye, let alone, like, put them in someone else's or, and yeah, I just don't, nope, nope. There's a reason I'm wearing glasses. I don't do the eye. When I was a kid and I had, like, eye infections, I mean, like, getting me to put eye drops in was, like, hell. It took hours when it should have taken minutes just because, like, I couldn't stand it. Yeah, I honestly think in, like, my family it's something genetic. My dad's the same way. He used to do eye drops, like, every day, and I can't give it to him. I just can't do it on myself. I can't do it on him. I just can't do it, period. So eye drops are terrible. Never mind a needle. Yeah, I can't. Mm, I couldn't watch. I was like, and like, what? What do you tell the patient? Do you just say like, look in the opposite direction and like, hold your breath and stay incredibly still because I'm jamming this needle into your eye? Yeah, that's again. Hence why I would freak out. Yeah. Yeah. Not pleasant. Not pleasant. So all is good, and then Will and Ethan argue because you know it's just not an episode of Chicago Med if they don't argue. Or if anybody doesn't argue, let alone them specifically, yeah. but yeah. Um, Will is, like, the pettiest of petty, by the way, but also, like, he's completely right. Right. His hunch was, in fact. But the thing that I hated about this, too, is I hated that Will took that moment of him being right to be like, yeah, I should have been chief, and you shouldn't. And I'm like, yeah, that's not how that goes. Just because you got this one thing right and Ethan should have listened to you doesn't mean that you're necessarily a better doctor than him and doesn't mean you should have been chief. Exactly. Yeah. Like you were on the right track, Will, and then it just went horribly wrong. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, I did really enjoy when Ethan walked in and Will just goes, well, there was a hole in his esophagus or like, I was right. He's just like something about that. I'm like, (laughs) get it, Will. (laughs) Um, Yeah. That's what I'm saying though. I did enjoy that. Like I, I, you know, Will was right, and there's no denying that Will was right. His hunch was right. But again, I didn't like that he was like, see, Ethan, you shouldn't be doctor. You shouldn't be ED chief. I should. Because I knew it was the esophagus. And I'm like, yeah, no. 
No. Do you think Will played sports as a kid and teenager? Ooh. Um. Yes. I feel like Will was a soccer player. Oh, wow. Okay. I wasn't expecting like, that. I, like, I don't feel like he's a football. Like, I don't feel like he played football or baseball or bat. I feel like he was a soccer player. And I don't know why, but I feel like he was a soccer player. I don't get the, I don't get the soccer player vibe off of him. And the only I mean, reason you I would ask- you would you would probably know better because I don't really actually know that many soccer players. I don't know. And you don't get the basketball player vibe off of him? No, no, no. Do you remember that scene with him, him and Jay playing basketball? I do. Uh, no, he definitely was not a basketball player. I could see him being a football player. Like, he's tall. I don't know if that's, like, a quality you want no, in football players. No, I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't know. I, I don't picture him as a football player at all. I don't know. I just picture him with – I don't know. I just picture him as a soccer player. The reason I ask but, is because what he shows in this scene is that he has zero – Zero sportsmanship. He's a terrible sport. Oh, well, yeah, 100%. Uh, maybe he was a golf player. I feel like you don't have to be a good sport to be a golf player. <laughs> Will would be a golf player. I could see that. Yeah, I was going to say, I think we can both agree, though, he wasn't a baseball player. No, no, I don't think he no. was baseball. No, he's no, like, don't, don't baseball players have like an ego? Kind of. Yeah, he doesn't have that ego. He, he's a total derp. So, like, Golf, I could see. I could see, like, I could see Pat pressuring them to play sports, like, all through high school. And then, like, after years of, like, football and contact sports and, like, team sports where Will was like, I hate this, Pat was like, you're golfing. Like, I give no shits. You're golfing. That's my guess. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But, yeah. So. But, yeah. No, he is terrible sportsmanship. Yeah. It just, it makes me wonder because I'm just like, man, like, Will must have given up sports in, like, a fit of rage when he was, like, a wee little teenager because he just couldn't handle losing or being tackled or anything. Yeah, I could veer this conversation to different I very differently, but I won't. We'll save that. This for question bit. down for the next time Nick comes back on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, we'll save that again for a different podcast. Welcome to meet us at what high school sport did Will Halstead play? Um, <laughs> Lord. Anyway, so um Will can't help himself, and he's just like, but also, okay, but I see, okay, I don't see, I see both sides, but, like, Will does not handle this well. However, however, Ethan does talk down to him in this scene. Yeah, they're both in the wrong this whole episode. I know, I just... I feel very. I know you're just a, you're a you're a Will Halstead fan. You are. I am. This is like when I talk about Succession, and I'm a giant like Kendall apologist, which that means nothing to you because you don't watch Succession. But like, I'm very protective of Will. I'm just like he's an idiot, but don't fucking mess with him. Yeah, I know you really are though, and I'm just like Will's an idiot. The end. <laughs> I know. Brenda says Will's an idiot, and I'm I'm always in the background like, but, but, but. <laughs> really though. it's true though it's completely true but like ethan ethan was really talking down to him like almost patronizing him in this scene because he was just like well when goodwin and i talked about this the other day we felt like a leadership change needed to come and will's just like okay this is exposition i didn't need um but will can't help but get one last dig in there about um what a good leader does and so here's that clip good leader also doesn't micromanage a good leader trusts that those under him know what they're doing Maybe even more than he does. 
Um, I've had many a leader who has micromanaged in the past and it, 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 it is soul sucking. Yeah. I mean, I think there is a way to micromanage and still be a good leader, but typically the two don't go together that well. Not at all. Not at all. So, um, I, 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 this is not me being a will apologist. This is just me. Like I totally get what's making sense. He does. And I'm, I'm not saying Will's wrong, but also I, yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. So after that, Will sits down with the iPad and he has a little FaceTime with Miss Goodwin. And Will, Will, Will. But <laughs> <laughs> no, but really, I have I have a counterpoint. Like the his his intentions are good, right? He wants transparency from his boss. He wants clarity on like, hey, what happened? But not so he can be like, what can I work on in the future? Because that's the constructive way to have this conversation. That's the way to phrase it and be like, what should I work on to make myself better and a more viable candidate in the future? Instead, he's just like, let me tell me, let me tell you all the reasons you fucked up. Um, yeah, I was going to say, there's like a definitely a better way Will could have gone about this whole thing. Yeah, yeah. His intentions were good. I think he just got ahead of himself by a lot. Um, but then, you know, Goodwin handles it well until she, like, shoves the dagger in his heart. It's not what you've done. It's how you've done it, Dr. Halstead. You're impulsive. You break the rules. You trust your gut over everything and everyone else. And, and hey, sometimes it works, but it's just not the way to run an ED. The truth is... I didn't even consider you for this job. I mean, Goodwin is ice cold. I don't know. See, I thought Goodwin was kind of spot on. Ooh, I had a feeling we were going to disagree a couple times tonight. Yeah, I, I kind of, I thought Goodwin was dropping some truth bombs. Okay, but to lay them out that bluntly, like literal bombs. Okay, here's my, here's where I'm coming from about this, though. Will has needed to hear this for five seasons. He has needed someone to just lay it all out for him. And I think Goodwin finally did that. And I think, I hope that this will now stir him to realize that he continuously makes the same mistakes and just, he has the potential to be an excellent doctor and leader and obviously ED chief but like he can't keep making the mistakes he's been making because they're gonna prevent him from this great future well hold and the phone he, though hold the phone there's a double standard here how many times did connor follow his gut how many times did connor create stupid problems and make poor decisions just to stroke his ego and goodwin never had a bad word to say about him okay yes i'm not saying that it's not a double standard but one part of that was because of the money you know the money and the family money, but also too, it's not like Connor was getting becoming ED chief and this and that. True. I mean, Connor still had to fight his way against Ava for fellowship positions and you know, whatever. And he still had to fight despite the fact that it probably should have been a lot easier for Connor than it I was. Mean, with Connor and Ava, it was quite literally always a dick swinging competition between him and Ava, both of them. 
but I mean, with Will, it's just how he does his job. No, but I think there's a, I think, I think he can still do his job effectively and actually be better at become a better doctor if he doesn't do some of the things that he does. And that Goodwin pointed out. Touche, touche. I mean, okay, the, the you make poor decisions, you go off your gut, like blah, blah, blah. Okay, yeah, valid, can verify. Like, yeah, that's great. But the part where she's like, I didn't even consider you for this job, was that necessary? No, I don't think that part was necessary. But what I was going to say kind of two seconds ago also was that the fact that we said last week, too, that Will, when is Will ever going to learn? And I think this is kind of him learning. Somebody, I think Will wouldn't learn it until somebody laid it out for him. And we could argue about, you know, methods and how, you know, how the approach, how Goodwin approached it and should it have been Goodwin, should it have been someone else, blah, blah, whatever. We can argue about that. But I think Will wouldn't learn it and take it to heart until someone actually just said it to him out loud. I mean, but is he going to learn it, though? Because after this scene, he goes right to Dr. Verani. Yeah, but I, I, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. It's crazy. I mean, if I'm Will, I mean, if I'm Will, I interpret that message from Goodwin as like, you're just here because I can't get rid of you. Uh, I don't know about that. I don't, I don't know about that. But I do think it was her saying that like, if you don't kind of get yourself together, then I don't really know how much, how your, how far your career can go from here. Like, will you just always kind of be a needy doc? Yeah. If you don't pull yourself together, I'm just going to be really mad. I'm not going to do anything about it. Yeah. But honestly, I kind of thought this was more effective than any punishment she could have given him. Like, I thought this was kind of the ultimate punishment. Ooh. That's true. I didn't think of it that way. Like, we've been waiting for her so long to, you know, punish Will and punish Natalie for everything they always do. And yes, Will and Natalie, because it's always them, never really anyone else. Um, but like, this is something, again, if we want, I don't know why Will wanted this. Will, it kind of came out of nowhere with Will wanting this. But if Will has really wanted this for a long time, like, it's kind of a big slap in the face for him not to get it. And so hopefully this will be the wake up call he needs to yeah. Yeah. think a little bit more. Do you think he's going to hook up with Dr. Verani? I don't know. I don't know where they're going with that. Real, I mean, really where they're going with that. I don't know. We might be on the verge of starting a Will Halstead circle. Somebody makes a comment about that in our listener thoughts, so hold on. We'll get there oh, in a I didn't see that. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I take it back. I take it back. So, yeah, that is Will. Um, yeah, I mean, you guys were right there with us with the feelings. So, uh, Brenna, get us started here on the listener thoughts. Yeah, so Vela said, I still don't know how I feel about Ethan being chief. Sure, Goodwin's arguments were good, but lately Ethan hasn't necessarily been, hasn't necessarily been calm and co- not impulsive, or hasn't been necessarily calm and not impulsive. Um, let's also not forget that he punched Marcel in the middle of the ED. I don't think Will would have been a better choice, but I don't know. Um, Goodwin got mad at Marcel and Ethan, right? Yeah, I think so. Okay, just checking. Just checking. But still... Yeah, Ethan definitely, we kind of just let that storyline go, and yeah, he don't, never forget. No, we won't. Yeah. Oh my god. 
So Catherine said, we need explanations about Dr. Lanik. Amen, sister. Did he leave mad or did he just step down as chief? I don't know. The mystery's out there. The mystery's out. Uh, she said, I kind of felt bad for Will, but being honest, his impulsivity is definitely an impediment for him and leadership. But Natalie's impulsive. I mean, you can't, you can't. Natalie's in a different, no, 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 no. Natalie's in a different class, like all by herself. Natalie, Natalie is just Natalie. I don't even know how it's just Natalie's Natalie. I can't help it. I just can't. I, I will not stand for this attack on Will Halstead, okay? <laughs> That's a shirt. <laughs> um, you guys can all just gang up on him and I will be like the lone person like standing there shielding Will from attacks. <laughs> I can't help it. It's just happening. Okay. Uh, and Catherine said, part of me feels like he wanted to be chief just to have something good in his life and not because he really wanted it. That is an excellent point. But also, that can be said for any of us. How many of us are doing things right now or, you know, seeking things that ju just for the sake of making us feel good? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she said, please, can, his next, um, can he and his next relationship ask the other person to move in with him? It's kind of the circle of Will Halstead. Start a relationship. It's going good. They move in together. They break up. And Will ends up homeless again. It really is. Because <laughs> this is now three times? Um, Nina. Hannah. Natalie. Natalie. So if, if something happens with Dr. Verani, we're going on number four. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, no, I was going to say each one is worse than before, but that's not true. Hiding the gun was Natalie, and then he didn't do anything like terribly, I, I was going to say terribly crazy with Hannah, aside from like, you know, fall in love with her working off the books at a clinic. Um, yeah, I got nothing. Yeah, Nina was by far the least worse. They were it, happy, and then Will just fell in love with Natalie. Nina Shore still deserved better, though. I will. I will. She say, did. Nina Shore deserved better. So bad. So much better. Kind of so make it like better. Will was settling for her. The audacity. So much better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that is Will. Meanwhile, in the COVID unit, April has a young patient. And she's probably like, she's a minor is all we know, but um, she's got cardiomyopathy. Her mother works in a hotel and the daughter's really stressed out over what would happen if the mom got sick. But April's just like, don't, don't worry. Like, don't stress. Don't worry. It's fine. So in that first scene, I was like, okay, so maybe we're going to have a good outcome this time. And, you know, we're not going to lose the COVID patient. I, I yeah, I was just kind of like, okay, well, maybe that's the way we're going to go. Um, as the episode goes on, this poor patient, it gets harder and harder for her to breathe. And April, like, April takes no shit. This, yeah. It really doesn't, though. And I, I don't know. Part of me has, like, slight, it, it's always kind of the same things that I've always had issues with April with, is that she doesn't take no for an answer, which I love about her, but I also, like, don't like either sometimes. Um, but yeah, I, I think I'm, I think I'm so okay with it. This go around because the, the people in the COVID unit, they, they can only advocate for themselves so far. Right. Uh, right. And I, I yeah. do agree with that part. It's just, there are some times where I think April goes like one step too far and I'm like, mm. did she in this one? 
when she we get to the Ethan section. I really enjoyed seeing her put this this doctor in his place. What put Ethan in his place? No, no, this this attending who like won't do anything. Oh, that one, yeah, that one I didn't have a problem with. With the Ethan stuff, I had a little problem with her. A little bit. Um, yeah, so the, the attending like won't do anything. He won't intubate her or anything, and he's just like the numbers don't support intubating her at this time. So like literally, this attending was just going to leave her to die. But, yeah, that part, yeah. I, I will say, I like, I do love seeing April stick up for her patients, and I do think the COVID unit has been the perfect place for her. They're just, again, sometimes April takes it a little, 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 little too far. Yeah, yeah. So, um, she flat out just says, she's like, then get me another doctor. I was like, oh, she just did that. that yeah, was love her, love her. Yeah, that was pretty great. It was pretty fucking great. Yeah. So then we cut to April and Ethan and they're they're having a moment and like I kind of enjoyed it. Yeah, this moment I was like, "Oh, wait, we can actually have like a co- a normal conversation without any toxicity. What is this? Who are these people?" Can we talk about how unrealistic this is though that two exes can be friends? I have never come across that in my entire life. Really? Really? Ever? Ever. Granted, I dated some real assholes before I got to Charlie. Yeah, I mean, I know exes that have been friends, so I don't think it's that weird. But for Ethan and April, I thought it was weird. <laughs> I mean, those two, like, when you ask a couple what their hobbies are, like, you ask me and Charlie, like, what are your hobbies? We're like, oh, well, we love to go to breweries. We love to watch soccer. You ask Ethan and April what their hobbies are, and it's arguing Fighting. with each other. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fighting. Fighting. Lying to each other. Yeah. Yeah, not being honest. Yeah, this scene, I will say, was like a breath of fresh air when it came to these two specifically. But then it got ruined in like two seconds. It did. It did. So Ethan, you know, at first Ethan's like really cute. He's like, don't chew out the residents anymore. Like I smoothed it over. Don't worry. Um, And then they start talking about Ethan being chief. And Ethan's just basically like, you know, I hope you'll let me know if I'm being a hard ass. Like keep me in line, blah, 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 whatever. And so they have that cute little moment. So down the line her patient Yesenia she gets worse um April's honest with the mom like she doesn't know she's gonna make it so April asks Ethan if the mom can come be with her when she dies because there's two exceptions basically it's if like if the patient's a minor and death is imminent then they'll allow the parent to come in but Ethan gives it a hard no he's like no like absolutely not we can't do that like here's the reasons why just no and so April almost guilt trips him. Like she, she just, yeah, she looks at him. She's like, you wanted to know when you were being a hard ass. Well, this is it. No, you can't, no, you can't just like, that's not, I mean, yes, maybe Ethan could have had a tiny bit more sympathy for the situation, but, also it's but you also can't guilt him and try to force your, that's the where I was like, April, you took it a little too far. Yeah. Yeah. You missed the mark a little bit there, April. You also can't just be like, complaining because you didn't get what you wanted yeah yeah just a little so um after ethan has this whole fight with will um ethan finally gives april the okay like okay fine get them on like she can come that's fine um but she doesn't answer and so a new patient comes in later and it turns out that it's the mom um which is just like so sad too because the mom's just like don't tell yesenia but like for all we know yesenia might have passed already yeah, she's pretty close. So sad. Mm-hmm. So sad. It really is, though. 
And like, it's just so, I, I, I would imagine like feeling really suffocated almost like how the, the COVID patients have those, that plastic sheet over them. Like I would feel like, I don't know, it can't be comfortable in there. No. So then after that, they have a moment on the roof. I was actually, so as this went on, I was just kind of like, okay, well, wait, is every week going to be the same where like April gets a COVID patient and then loses them? Like, are we going to do this? And then I was like, okay, no, we're reflecting real life. Like, stop it. But I was kind of hoping we were going to end again the same way we did last week with everybody on the roof reading off the names of everybody they lost. Yeah, I mean, at some point, I feel like they can't do that scene that much more, or else it's going to feel real, real repetitive, and this is television. Um, but I like to imagine that they do that every night, regardless. Yeah, yeah. So um, Ethan and April just kind of ended on the roof, and they have this really sweet moment. It isn't fair. We just have to keep doing everything we can it's never enough so that is ethan and april um stuff from our listeners we did get one um brian go ahead and take us through megan's message yeah megan just basically said april is killing it in the covid wing she's right where she needs to be i'm here for it which i completely agree with but actually though this was a great, great move for April because it's like it's catering to all of her strengths. It is. It is. I really, really do love this for April. Yeah, big time, big time. So, Brenda, take us through Natalie, please. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Lordy, Lordy. Okay. So, Natalie's patient this week is a pregnant inmate. And as soon as, <laughs> as, soon as you just say that, you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah oh shit the minute they said cook county i was like oh here we go oh, crap yeah <laughs> uh which because if you know natalie then yeah <laughs> so basically so of course she, the inmate has security guards with her and they tell natalie that she is a violent offender so the handcuffs have to stay on so natalie's trying to ask her what's wrong and blah 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 and the patient basically is like, so are you an actual OB? And I was like, well, I specialize in emergency medicine and pediatrics. And the patient's like, yeah, I want to see a licensed OB, please. You know what? I, 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 not that I get what she, like, why she's asking this, but also I can, it makes sense because, I mean, if you talk about healthcare in the prison system, I read the most shocking article a while back about um, how the, the prison in, in Dallas County was handling COVID cases. And I mean, to cut to the chase, they weren't. So yeah. the, the prison system, like, and the healthcare system, when you put those two together, like I could, there's, there's a serious lack of care. So mm -hmm. I'm sure she's trying to maximize, like be efficient with her time because she knows they're going to rush her through. Yeah, for sure. And we kind of see that a little bit later too. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so they call the OB and this is where we meet Dr. Douglas, who I fucking love yeah she's cool i uh, she seems so cool um so of course douglas dr douglas arrives basically right on time for the patient to have a seizure um so she has seizure and she still has the handcuffs on and they finally are able to take the handcuffs off her for a hot second um but they end up having to take her right away to delivery deliver her baby so the inmate delivers the baby with no problem but of course she's upset because she knows they're going to take her baby away from her um 
and you know obviously she still has to serve her time and so you know they're gonna be and she's just ultimately afraid they're gonna separate her and the baby so dr douglas and natalie start talking about the brokenness of the criminal justice system and natalie ends up even natalie like gets really emotionally invested in this and starts talking to goodwin to see if there's anything they can do um and i mean they you said like compassion's not really a thing in the criminal justice system so goodwin's like yeah seriously the brokenness of the criminal justice system is a podcast that is like it's so far outside the scope of what we talk about like but i i could do it for like days yeah for sure um but yeah so good Everyone's like, compassion really isn't a thing with the criminal justice system, but that doesn't stop them from trying. Mm-hmm. So Goodwin, Natalie, Dr. Douglas get on the Zoom with an attorney from the ACLU. Is that who he's from? Or uh, somewhere no, else? No, no, because we don't like this guy. Um, he is the attorney, I want to say that he, he might, like, he worked with somebody who handled Aisha's case in the beginning or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The ACLU guy's a different guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, this attorney gives them, like, a shitty response about the COVID bottleneck and how it's just, yeah. Her case is just going to sit there for a while because it's not a priority. So, Natalie is checking on Aisha, this patient, um, when an officer comes in. And his partner left, so because he's alone, they have to handcuff her and take the baby from her. And what does Natalie Manning do? <laughs> the most Natalie Manning thing to ever exist. Uh-huh. She gets in the security guard's face and then shoves him <laughs> against the wall. Okay, but also, like, she's, I mean, Tori DeVito is tiny, right? And this security guard is, like, a super tall, built guy. You're telling me that she really shoved him against the wall with, like, full force into, like, whatever card of anything he destroyed? Yes, apparently Tori did. The Wolf Entertainment account was tweeting about how Nat- or she did her own stunts for this. Natalie has Hulk strength. Yeah, but Natalie also shoved a guy, and I was like, Natalie, I, I get standing up for the patient, but, like, did you really have to go that far? I facepalmed. I was like, she did not. She did not just do that. I was like, what the fuck? I- <laughs> Natalie. Again, the most Natalie Manning thing to ever do. Yep. Um. Anyway, so they hand, end up handcuffing her, of course, and they basically end up not pressing charges because, of course, um, but I really enjoyed the conversation that came after about how Natalie's like, yeah, she has this conversation with Dr. Douglas about how basically she knows she gets away with it because she's a white woman. Mm-hmm. And that even if, and she asked Dr. Douglas basically, like, do you think you could get away with it, um, like, you know, as a black woman? And Dr. is like, I don't know, I may have a little bit more leniency because I'm a doctor, but... You know, it's not going to be the same. Um, I will say, though, for as much shit as I want to give Natalie for shoving the security guard and how we'll just, we should eventually do a ranking of, like, Natalie's top ten, like, kind of magic crazy moments. Natalie Manning moment. moment. Yes, we really should. That is a fantastic And episode. this is definitely on that list. Yes. Um, but I will say, I did really appreciate Med tackling the like racism stuff from yeah. a different angle and like the fact that they tackled it in a way that made sense for their show uh-huh. um I, I really did appreciate that they and it wasn't lost on me amidst the natalie natalie-ness of it yeah yeah absolutely and i mean i i, I hate to say that you know that the her 
it, it did get lost on me there for a little bit. Um, cause you know, she shut the officer and we were like, Natalie, but yeah, I mean that, that, that conversation she has with Douglas as they're walking away is, is very understated, but I mean, it's very, it's very important. It's a, it's a really good, important conversation to have. And I'm glad that med is raising those issues. Yeah, I do too. Like I said, and it's, it did, I kind of wondered how med would do it or, you know, fire, you know, I, it obviously wasn't going to be the exact same way that PD is going full force on it, mm-hmm. but I'm glad that med tackled it in a way that made sense for them. Yeah. Yeah. So, so take us through Jessica's comment. Yeah. So Jessica had, our listener Jessica had a comment on this. She said, I thought Natalie had a really strong storyline this week. Based on the episode description, I was already rolling my eyes. Like, here we go again. Us too. But I really enjoyed the conversation that the case prompted between Nat and the OB doc about white privilege. And even subtly, Nat having unconscious bias against the woman and not wanting to take the handcuffs off her. It felt like a very unmed-like case. More something we might see on PD, but I liked it. And I think Tori carried the storyline well. Yeah. Agreed. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. Yeah. That's, so that was Natalie. That's Natalie. Just, just, just right when you think she can't out Natalie herself, she does. Yeah. I will say though, since we're getting about to head into like Dr. Charles Crockett, there was a very apparent lack of Natalie and Crockett this week and it made me sad. <laughs> yeah. There was a lack of Crockett altogether. Like he. I yeah. know. And I thought the Dr. Charles Crockett stuff, since we're basically about to start that, I thought that storyline was going in a very different direction than it did. And I was like, sad. Yeah. Yeah. There, there was a kind of criminal lack of Crockett in this episode. Like, I really thought when they had the whole sit down and Dr. Charles was trying to get Crockett to come in for his, you know, just kind of like check in during COVID. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was going to end up leading to Dr. Charles, like, cracking Crockett's backstory and, like, Crockett having this, like, emotional breakdown in Dr. Charles' office. And it didn't happen. And I was like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So take us through Dr. Charles and Crockett, please. Basically, here's what happened. So as I said, Dr. Charles is in Goodwin are trying to get everyone to have like a little just kind of COVID check-in. And pretty much everyone's done it except for Crockett. So he's like, yeah, I just don't want to. I respectfully RSVP no is what he says. Um, and yeah, Crockett describes himself as stoic and, you know, blah, 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 blah. But finally, they end up, Dr. Charles ends up getting Dr. Crockett in there. And they kind of talk about, like, food and, you know, nothing really important. Um, But it ends quickly because Anna calls him, Dr. Charles. And her mom is sick, like, really sick. And so Dr. Charles goes over there, and Anna's mom has wants nothing to do with Dr. Charles, but she's so sick and starts throwing up blood that she's like, okay, fine. Whatever. So Anna's really nervous. Dr. Charles is, like, kind of oddly calm about it. Um, but he, I think he's oddly calm about it because he wants Anna to stop being so nervous. So he has to be calm for her. Oh, I thought he was oddly calm because he knew it was an ulcer and an ulcer is an easy fix. Maybe that too. But mm-hmm. anyway, so yeah, like Gina said, it's an ulcer. So basically quick surgery, boom, bam, done. Anna's still worried. Um, Anna tells her dad that she was snooping through her mom's emails and found out that they're going to move to Phoenix. And so I think that plays into part of it too. And yeah, that's kind of where we end things. Anna's moving to Phoenix. Yeah. So, um, and, and it, it comes full circle because basically Crockett is like, um, I overheard some stuff. So like, if you want to talk, I'm here. Yeah. 
But again, I really did not think that's how this was going to go. I thought it was going to end with like Crockett having an emotional breakdown in Dr. Charles' office. I mean, the last scene of the episode is him like lying wide awake at 3 a.m. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. I'm ready. I'm ready for the Crockett backs, like the full Crockett backstory. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm ready too. I'm ready too. So, so ready. Yep, ready. Any other notes on med? No, I think that's it. There's always so much to talk about with med, but yeah. There is. There I think is. that's it. All right. It's fire time. Hey, um, did anything interesting happen on fire this week? Don't I? <laughs> I think I, like, cried at a bunch of different points for the last 30 minutes of fire. Oh, man. Um, I was all <laughs> over the My emotions were all over the place. <laughs> Um, I, it, it was a mixed bag, right? Like one second you're crying, the next minute you're yelling, the next minute you're like, oh, it was just, it was a ride. Yeah. I was like yelling at my TV a lot last night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like so, a lot last night. Okay. So we're going to start off with the Bretzy cassette sized elephant in the room. Um, uh. okay. So, so the episode starts and Brett and Gianna, obviously like the, the ambulance went yeet basically. Like, <laughs> it's a really funny word okay i realize i'm way too old to say it but it's a really funny word so whatever Uh, anyway yeah so i mean this ambo is in like a super crumpled heap of metal to the point that like you know brett and gianna have to be badly injured you're just like well shit that was really really bad apparently this ambo went down in crumpled metal in like that horrible heap and sylvie and gianna are a-okay Okay. Yeah, mine is a headlock for Gianna, but yeah, they're fine. I'm That's just it. like, what? That's it. Okay. Okay. Whatever. Um, so Matt is looking for the ambo. Stella's driving. Blake's just kind of like, what is happening here? Matt does not even wait for Stella to stop the fire truck. He literally runs out of the fire truck like while it's moving. That's not what what? I know, Matt. I mean, you go get your girl, but also, like, Matt, what are you That's doing? lucky he did not fall on his ass. Or on his face. Or, or on yeah. His, yeah. And, no, he just went full, like, action movie star. He really did. He did. He did. So, hops out of the truck, runs, like, jumps over the thing, whatever, and they're fine, but of course they see Halleck's car flipped upside down and on fire right next to them. So of course, Casey's like, holy shit, Brett, are you okay? Oh my God. And Gianna's over in the corner like, my head's bleeding, but I'm good. Uh, and then they see the, the car and they're just like, well, shit, like we should save him now. Uh, so Brett does the most Brett thing she could do. And of course they get the guy out, whatever. So that's done. So later on in the bunk room, um, Casey pulls Brett aside and basically just says, like, I'm glad you're okay. Like, that's, you know, I'm glad you're good. So Brett's like, how'd you get there so fast? Like, it's just so funny that I got out of the ambo and just immediately saw you. And he's like, oh, well, we were all there. Like, it was a team effort. Like, I I didn't run out of the ambo. I didn't run out of the fire truck while it was still in motion. No, not me. I was cool about it. this is like that moment in Greece when Danny and Sandy reunite for the first time and Danny's like yeah, <laughs> rocking and rolling and like Yeah, it really is. That's a great comparison. Yeah. Great and comparison. then Sandy's like, Danny! Yeah, that's what that is. Um, yeah. So they're having this moment of like prolonged hard eyes and I don't know. It's just so 
they're having this moment, they're talking, and it's great and everything. And then Brett drops this line. It's always been you. Uh, I just mean that you're always the one who's there for me in a, in a crisis. Okay, but where have I heard that before? When all my dreams come true, the one I want next to me, it's you. It's you, baby. And... You're always saving me. Somebody's got to. Like, uh, Brett has gone full Lucas Scott, everybody. I know. Yeah. It's crazy. As soon as I heard that in the promo, I was like, wait, what? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, also, there we go. That is your first One Tree Hill reference for the night. Never uh, not make a One Tree Hill reference. Never, never. But literally, the minute she said that, she was like, it's always been you. I was like, Lucas and Peyton? What? Yeah, that was, yeah. What? Oh, I love it, though. It doesn't matter. I love it. I don't care. It was so perfectly awkward for Brett, like, to, when she said it, too. She was like, it's always been you. I, um, I mean, um, yeah, it was perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I loved every minute of it. So Brett goes up to Stella freaking out, and she's like, so, I think I just told Casey I'm in love with him? Literally, at this moment, I was drinking wine last night when I was watching, and at this moment, I happened to just be, like, drinking some wine, and she's like, so I basically kind of told Casey I'm in love with him, and I, like, spit out my wine. <laughs> I don't like, know why. I just, like, that was my reaction. I was like, Psst. I feel like we've never heard her say it in those plain of terms. No. And, I mean, I think we kind of, it was obvious, but she's like, yeah, I think I kind of told Casey I'm in love with him, and I was like, what? Oh, Okay. We're going there. All right, cool. Cool. Yeah, and Stella's like, so what's wrong with that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Brett's just like, I can't feel that way. Can't do it. Stella's like, yeah, you can. <laughs> yeah. Um, Stella definitely misses, like, the whole Gabby of it all. <sighs> so yeah. they're all in the changing room later, and Casey very awkwardly asks everyone if they're going to Molly's later because, again, Matt Casey has no game. Yes! It's so obvious! <laughs> no game. No. It's so awkward. It's so awkward. <laughs> he used all of it up when he had that moment with Gabby at the Christmas party, and then he might have had, like, a little tiny, like, trickle left, and he used that when he rounded the corner at Brett's place. So, no game. Yeah. None. Nada. And he, like, like loudly blurted to two. He's like, so we're done with shit. Is everybody going to Molly's? <laughs> yeah and then he's and then Brett, he's like and everyone and herman's like yeah we're the owners we're there <laughs> and he's like brett what about you and she's like yeah i guess i'll come and he's like okay great and they like lock off and match is like yeah so that was weird right <laughs> <laughs> yes yes it was yes it was very weird very weird so brett shows up to the patio and right away, Casey's like, Casey, like, stands up, too. He, like, shoots out of his seat and is like, can I get you a drink? Calm down. <laughs> Calm down. Again, he has no game. None. Zilch. <laughs> oh, man. Um, how long would Casey last on The Bachelor? <laughs> um, he'd be like Bennett. Yeah. He'd be like, I think he'd 
last a couple episodes. I don't think he makes it that far, but he definitely doesn't go home night one. Does he make it further than Kelly? No. Kelly 100% makes it further than him. Just because of the swag? Yes. Yeah. Casey's definitely like a Bennett on that show. Yeah. Casey makes it far enough, but not also simultaneously far enough. I think him on a group date would be the most awkward thing you've ever seen in your life. Yeah. It's definitely, I would say Matt could also just solely make it, like, Matt is very good looking. Matt, I would keep Matt around just solely because he looks good. Could you imagine at, like, the co- the, the the cocktail party and he's just, like, he, like, walks up and he's like, can I steal you for a second? <laughs> <laughs> Again, Matt Casey has no game. No in game. Your voice, Matt. In your voice. No game. None. Zilch. But he does get a first impression, Rose. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. So, uh, Cap and Tony are, like, the perfect people to be at the table in this yes! moment. So it's perfect. so good. Uh, Cap's like, well, you never offered to get me a drink. And Casey's like, shut it, Cap. Stop it. Uh, Love it. And then Gallo starts, like, recanting the whole story about what happened with the Ambo crash, which is so funny because I, I saw a tweet on Wednesday and somebody was, like, imagining what would it would be like when Gallo recanted the story and was like, so get this, Stella's driving. And Matt's, like, freaking out. And then, and it's like, <laughs> nailed it. Just completely nailed it. Yeah, Gallo is definitely the most perfect person to tell the story. And it's just, yeah, everything about this scene is Because he's such a proud son. <laughs> he is, though. It's so cute. He's like, that's my dad. <laughs> it's so cute. It's so cute. It's so, so cute. And so while that's happening, Casey and Brett are just making hard eyes at each other. Because Gallo kind of outs him, right? Gallo's like, so Casey's like super worried about Brett. And so then, and Brett's just like, oh. <laughs> maybe okay. this isn't so one-sided tell me more gallo yeah 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 so, but they make like the most like longingest long long glare at each other or, like hard eyes at each other it's like intense like it goes from hard eyes to a really uncomfortable staring contest see i don't i thought it was all hard eyes but yeah it's like super long yeah you're like looking at your watch you're like oh my god they're still staring at each other shit yeah <laughs> So after that, Brett does everything she can do to avoid Casey because she just well, because she all of a sudden like leaves and makes an excuse. <laughs> She's like, "Yeah, I have to go to my friend Olivia's." Okay, bye. <laughs> so even Severide notices, and like you know, you're in a way when Severide notices what's up with you. Yeah, I loved that whole scene though. I thought it was so cute. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, Severide's basically calling him out and Casey denies it but Severide is still just like okay well he says I'll be around tonight for cigars but not if you still have that look adorable adorable love it um, Bryna I'll let you take this last part of the Bretty-ness oh. it's a lot so Brett's chilling at home the last scene is Brett chilling at home with a glass of wine and she all of a sudden hears a knock at her door and it's Casey and he's he's like so you rush out of molly's and then you avoid me all shift like talk to me sylvie did i do something wrong and she says she's like i was avoiding you so i wouldn't end up doing this and they finally kiss holy shit our little sylvie has come a long way from the days of she really has though yeah she really has the oh yeah 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 (laughs) Yeah, i forgot about that scene yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And so they finally start making out. And it's actually very tender. Like, it wasn't that, I mean, it was passionate, but it was also, like, kind of tender. Like, it was very Brett and Casey, I felt like. I guess. I think I was expecting more sparks. Oh, I've told, I didn't, I, I loved everything. I thought it was great. That was a great kiss. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, so they like end up on Brett's couch and then Brett stops them from going too far because like something's on our mind. If Gabby came back to Chicago right now, tonight, and asked you to leave with her, would you go? And Matt's basically, Matt's answer is like, I haven't talked to her in a long time. And she's like, but that's not the question, Matt. And he's like, well, I don't, I don't know. And this is Brett's response. I guess that I knew you were still in love with Gabby all along. And so this is, I mean, this is on me. It's more complicated than that. No, it's, it's really not. And then, basically, Brett just asks him to leave, and he does. And then that kind of ends the episode. And, yeah, that's where we're at. (laughs) Were you surprised that she brought up Gabby? Kind of. Like, honestly, in my heart, I kind of hope she would. Because, Mm -hmm. like, maybe not this moment. Because, here's the thing. We, I feel like we never, even though... Matt said no to Gabby back in 809 and but I feel like we still never really got the closure and stuff that we needed and like saw Matt really work through his divorce mm-hmm. and properly I mean you know he like kind of mentions it here or there but you know not really and so like we don't really know right what what Matt's feeling about the Gabby situation like it's never really talked about after that yeah so I think it's important that Brett did this. And I, you know, I, I, I was really glad that she brought it up. I was too, because I feel like the writers really surprised us with this one because, I mean, the two of them have been flirting and circling each other for a while and nowhere has Gabby been mentioned, maybe in passing like once or twice. So in my mind, I was like, hey, well, you know, since they don't really seem to like being consistent about, you know, old characters and continuation and consistency and everything, I figured both of them had put Gabby out of sight, out of mind. So when Brent came out with that, I was like, oh, oh, wait, wait, okay, damn. I mean, here's the thing. In the moment, I was really mad. I was so mad because I was just like, I literally, I mean, the other night I was up at like 5.15 thinking about this. After that, like, Brett's focused promo. And I was, like, texting about it with you. I was, like, waking you up at, like, 6 a.m. with, like, all my Brett's thoughts. So in the moment, I was really mad. And then I thought about it, and I, like, sat on it basically through all of PD. And I was, like, no. I, like, I'm really good with it. I mean, I still want them to be together, and I still think they will end up together. But I'm okay with them taking some time to, like, figure it out and, like, Cause I don't think I, I'm really proud of Brett for standing up for herself and not wanting to be Matt's second choice. Absolutely. Because I don't want that for her either. Like as much as I want Matt and Brett to be together, like I don't want Brett to be her, be his second choice. Oh, amen. hundred percent. If, if, if Casey feels like he and Gabby are end game, that's fine. But don't, don't drag Brett along if that's the case. 
Right. And I think too, I think there's a big difference in what I'm hoping we'll see Matt work out is the difference between still loving Gabby and being in love with Gabby. Cause yeah. I don't think there's ever going to be a part of Matt Casey that doesn't love Gabby. Right. But I think we hopefully will see that he's not in love with her anymore. Yeah. I, I feel like Gabby was definitely his soul, soulmate, the same way Shay was Severide's love of his life. I mean, Gabby was clearly the love of Matt's life. And so that's not going to go away. Right. But then it kind of begs the question of, can you have more than one love of your life? Yeah. And I think you can. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, so I'm hoping that's what will happen. I mean, it looks like from the promo, I mean, Brett, I mean, Kat, Matt even says that, like, my feelings for you are real, but Brett basically still saying the same thing, like, I don't want to be your second choice. Well, yeah, so. and he says, he's like, he's like, my feelings for you are real regardless of Gabby, and Brett's like, there is no regardless no of regardless Gabby. No regardless of Gabby. Which and is that's true. What I'm right, there's not. And I, that's what I'm saying. I think he needs to figure out whether his feelings again are just like he loves Gabby and will always love Gabby because they share a deep rich history with each other or is he in love with her and I I feel like he's not in love with her just you know but I don't know I don't know yeah but he's on her hook though I mean there's a whole episode of how I met your mother about being on someone's hook and he is on hers and that every time she comes back to Chicago he's just going to be suckered right back in which is, again, it's something I brought up in 809. I was like, well, I mean, does Brett want to pursue this relationship knowing that all it takes is one weekend off from Puerto Rico for, you know, Matt to just get, like, pulled back in? Maybe for Gabby to yeah. pull Matt back in. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but I think that's what she's saying. And that's why I'm proud. Like, as much as it does frustrate me because this has been the slowest of slow burns, and I do want Matt and Brett to get together. Like, I do. I do really like them together. Mm-hmm. But I'm proud of Brett for being realizing kind of what you just said and, like, needing Casey to know where he stands for sure. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm, I'm still hopeful. Still, I still – I feel like they're not going to go through all of this just to be like, yeah, I'm still in love with Gabby. Okay. Like, I just don't think they're going to do that. I could be wrong, but I feel like they're not doing that. I mean, the version playing out in the future that I see in my head is one that would get many, many tomatoes thrown at me. So we're not having that conversation now. What? Well, I mean, I feel like the only, the only way for Matt to say, you know, okay, it's, it's, I, I will always love Gabby, but I'm interested in you. Uh, I, I don't think he has the capacity to say no to Gabby, right? If Gabby were to come back to Chicago again by herself and she was like, run away with me, let's go. Like, yeah, he would say I'm staying in Chicago, but he couldn't resist her. Like, there's no way he like, and I'm not saying he would cheat on Brett, but like he would, he, he would not be able to tell Dawson, like, I'm, I'm with Brett now, like you need to back up. I could see a version in the future, which, like, I hope Derek's not listening to this and getting ideas. He's not. That's a joke. A terrible, terrible joke. But, like, the next time Gabby comes back, like, she's found someone new. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that, yeah. And part of me honestly kind of wonders if Casey's going to have to – I feel like Casey's going to have to call Gabby. Like, I don't think Gabby's, I don't think Gabby's, like, popping back to Chicago or anything. Like, I don't think that's happening in January. But, like, even if we don't see Gabby, you know, 
Monica from the other end, but I feel like Casey's gonna have to call Gabby and like work through his feelings. Oh, you think it's gonna be like Everwood when he goes to the wife's grave and is like, I'm in love, we can't see each other anymore, bye. <laughs> I forgot about that scene. I mean, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I, I don't know. I was gonna say like he's gonna break up with her over voicemail, but it's not a breakup, they're already divorced. Yeah, I just, I don't, I, yeah. But like I said, I feel like this is a television show and they're not setting all of this Casey and Brett stuff up just for Casey to still be like, yeah, I'm in love with Gabby. Okay, bye. Like, they didn't do this for two seasons just to end up in that. I don't know. So, didn't Grace do that where they were like, they set up all the April and Jackson stuff only for April to run away with what's-his-face at the end? Yeah, but that was like seasons later. <laughs> true and that was like that was like seasons and seasons like yeah but mm, yeah anyway oh man um and when i tell you twitter exploded at this moment oh god oh my god i will say though this felt like a scene out of some brett and casey fan fiction i've been reading (laughs) you've been reading brettsy fan fiction and you tell me this now (laughs) i mean yes i have you didn't share with the class sorry rina I will. I didn't know that. When I find a good one, I will share it with you. We were friends. Just kidding. kidding. But yeah. So Alyssa says, I have mixed thoughts because I'm glad they addressed the Gabby thing before they went too far. And of course, Casey will always have feelings for her, but come on now. Also, she literally did ask him to leave with her and he said no. Talking about Gabby. The only way I see this resolving well is if Gabby comes back and actually asks to get back together, but Casey realizes he loves Brett now, but that's highly unlikely. I'm mainly just mad they spent so long building the slow burn and hyped it up so much just to have it end like this. It's not over. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, I, I'm still hopeful. I still think this is going to end up good. I'm, I'm hoping. I just, I honestly hope that it doesn't mean that we're, like, another 10 episodes away from, <laughs> like, give me the end of episode three, maybe four. No, no like, if, they, if, they had taken, if they had dragged out the first kiss any further, like, if it didn't happen last night, I was officially going to be over it. I was going to be like, no, there is a slow burn, and there is an unnecessarily slow burn. No, but I'm talking about them actually ending up together, if that is what happens. Like, I can't, I don't want them to even drag out that decision much longer. Give it till the end of episode three, maybe the end of episode four, but, like, anything longer than that, I will just be like, Derek, what are we doing? We've waited long enough. Seriously, though, it's been two seasons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Catherine said, I love that Sylvie was the one that, who started the kiss and the one who broke it up because she's the one in control and needs the one and the one who needs to be sure of things before anything happens and makes things even more awkward. I'm still not on board with them, but if Matt actually gets his shit together and actively <laughs> pursues a relationship with Sylvie, I might be on board. Who knows, right? Yeah, I definitely think Matt. I mean, it's kind of on Matt's, everything's up to Matt at this point, right? I guess. Like, Sylvie, like, Matt clearly knows where Sylvie stands. Yeah. And so, if Matt wants to be with Sylvie, like, it's up to him to, like, make that move now. Like, it's Matt's turn. Right. And I saw Matt getting a lot of crap on Twitter. People were like, he just left. Like, he didn't fight for her. She literally asked him to leave. That was the best thing he could do was just get up and leave. 
Right. And like, I, yeah, like it is kind of one of those things where you're like, Matt, like go fight for her. But like, he needs to, I can't blame the guy. He does need to get his head a little bit more on straight. Isn't that and why that's what, love him though? Right. And that's what Brett wants too, right? Like Brett, as much as she wants to be with him, like wants him to be in the right place. Like, again, she doesn't want to be anyone's second choice. Right. So, like, let him, give him this chance to, like, figure his shit out, make sure he's sure about her and that Brett is his person, and, like, okay, then they can be together. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Jessica said, and then, of course, the heartbreaking ending. On one hand, I was screaming at my computer screen because, excuse me, Derek, that was just rude. But on the other, I actually like that Sylvie's dealing with this now instead of jumping straight into the relationship because it needed to be dealt with at some point. And I think if Bretzy does happen, they'll have a stronger foundation to go off of having dealt with the Dossie history now. Yeah, great point. Great point. Yeah. Um, I'd love to see Casey work through his feelings about his divorce, which I feel like we never really got. Preach it. Um, And actively decide that Brett is who he wants going forward because she deserves to be the first choice, not the backup plan. And just to end this, can I just say that Kara Kilmer acted the motherfucking hell out of that scene, hey Drake. Um, you could see every emotion she was feeling and damn did it just make me love Sylvie Brett even more. I mean, I think, I think Sylvie and Kara together have just grown so much since she started on the show. I do too. And I, I think even just since last season, I mean, going through the stuff that she went through with Julie and now this stuff, yeah, like I, that, I felt for Brett in that scene. I loved it. I loved mm-hmm. Yeah, loved it. Um, Casey said, I think the ending was necessary. I think it would be better for them in the long run to address Gabby. And now, I was never a huge Jossie fan, but it can't be denied that Matt will always love Gabby. But that doesn't mean he can't move on and find an even bigger love with Sylvie. And Matt and Gabby had something so deep and it absolutely devastated him when she left. So I think there will always be a part of him that loves Gabby and thinks, what if? Um, however, if Sylvie freaking deserves a man that will fight for her, and I think Matt will definitely do that. Their chemistry is undeniable, and Matt is the kind of guy that will fight for her. And it wouldn't be one Chicago if we weren't left hanging, right? Right. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. I, I think this is just the beginning with Bretzi, so. Yeah, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to go watch those scenes like 10 bajillion times. <laughs> I mean, we, we got a long hiatus ahead of us, not nearly as long as the one we just finished, but you got time. Yeah, I know, and reread my Bretzy fanfic. Yeah, I'm just going to be in, like, a Bretzy space. If you need me, that's where I'm going to be. Okay, thanks. You want to share the fanfic this time? Yeah, I'll share it with you. <laughs> I got you. Okay, good. Good. Next up is Gianna and Joe. They gave us backstory pretty quickly on this one. I love it. I love it, love it, love it. It's good. It's really good. Bryna, take it away, please. Yeah, so... After they return, after Brett and Sylvie come back from their wreck, Joe is, of course, like, freaking the fuck out. Um, And he's like, are you okay? Are you sure? Do you need to go to med? Blah, blah, blah. And this is, like, one of my favorite moments of the whole episode. Gallo, like, comes in, and he's like, yeah, she's fine. I gave her a good once over. And Joe's like, yeah, I bet you did. (laughs) But no, he really did. (laughs) Yeah, I love it so much. Um, But Gianna's like, I'm fine, Joe. Please. I'm okay. So later on, Joe runs into Brett in the hallway after shift's over, and Brett kind of just tells Joe, she's like, I really wish you could have, like, boosted Gianna up after the crash. Like, she really handled herself out there. I mean, green or not, like, she's pretty amazing. Um, So Joe kind of takes that to heart and tracks Gianna down at running bleachers at the local high school football stadium. 
And Gianna's like pretty honest with Joe. And she's like, I don't really know if 50 went to the place for me, but it's not just because of the crash. Like she's like, I thought maybe I wanted to be at a busier house, but reality is maybe I'm just not cut out for it. And she asked Joe straight up. She's like, would you think less of me if I go? And he said, no. And this is where we get the backstory. Joe says, I promised Dex when he got sick that I would take care of you. Like, it's all I could think about when that craziness went down, my obligation to your big bro. But truth is, he'd be so proud of the young woman you've become. And as much as it pains me to say, I think 51 is exactly the right place for you. So Gianna's big brother knew Joe. He got sick and passed away. And Joe promised to look out for Gianna. Yes, from my understanding, that is correct. Okay. I want to learn more, though. I want more, but yes. Same. Same. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I also really need Leon to come back. Like, I yes. need Leon just to come back another uh, again. I need I need it. I would pay good money for a scene with Joe and Leon and Gianna and Chloe just, like, sitting around drinking beer one night. Oh, dream scene. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dream scene. Yep. Because I still think Leon probably took Gianna to prom, but... Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, if, definitely. If he didn't take her to his prom, then she took him to hers. Yes, definitely. Oh, honey. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so the next night, they're at Molly's, and Joe mentions to Brett that, like, he tried to give Gianna the hard sell, but he doesn't really know if it changed anything. He's like, you know, she's just trying to figure it all out. And then Ritter tells Joe, though, after Brett walks away, that Gianna's, like, going to be all right no matter where she ends up. Because she has you looking out for her like I had Mouch. And he's like, it makes all the difference when you're just getting your feet wet. And I just, like, all the mentoring feels. I can't handle it. Just rip our hearts out, Ritter. It's cool. My God. Ritter killed me in this episode. But actually, though. Anyway. So, and actually, I guess Joe's convincing worked because Gianna does show up to 51 next shift. And then, basically, at the end of the episode, after that last shift, Gianna tells Joe that, like, she felt bad a little bit for making Brett think that she was freaking out. And Joe's like, you don't have to be perfect. You know, nobody expects that except you. And she's like, and eh, I'll try not so much. And this is the cute little Mallow moment of the episode. Gianna's like, and on that note, if there is a cute boy that I want to happen to socialize with, like, <laughs> and Joe's like, no. No, no, no. No. And, yeah. yeah. I'm so on board the Mallow train. So on board. I know. I will say this, though, and I saw this. Somebody else had sent it to us in, like, I think a tweet or a DM or something. I am kind of curious what would happen to Violet. And I'm still not totally off the Violet and Gallo train. But, like, is this just going to be a storyline that they never come back to again? Like, Gallo, or Violet just doesn't exist? Uh, justice for Violet. But also Gianna and Blake are Right, and I'm not saying that. And, like, I would be totally fine, though, if they were just like, yeah, Violet. I Like, you know, I just need a mention. I just want to know that Violet, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah I just... I would like to know if they're going to ever come back to Violet or drop that for good. I guess they're going to drop that for good, but I'm sad because I do love Violet. Yeah. Violet was pretty good. Never forget the treadmill sexy time. (laughs) (laughs) Never forget. You think they ever had rescue sex? Well, they did, basically. (laughs) Well, no, that was treadmill sex. (laughs) Yeah, they definitely had rescue sex. Definitely had rescue sex. I don't know whether to be proud of us or really scared by the fact that there are different types of sex you can have on Chicago Fire. Proud of us, for sure. Proud of us, for sure, yeah. 
crowd of us for yeah. sure. Don't forget the reaction to the stress of the day. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, I'm saying your reaction to the stress of the day. There's rescue sex, treadmill sex, shower um, sex. That happened a couple times. Yeah, shower sex. Um, I'm thinking. <laughs> um, sex on the bar. Yeah, it's sex on the bar. Um, do you ever think there was like truck sex? <laughs> Um, probably, but who, who? Shay's probably, I mean, Shay, she's probably had truck sex at some point. I feel like Matt and Gabby definitely had truck sex at some point. I could see that. I could see that. Because if you think about it, the paramedics have plausible deniability, right? If somebody goes in the fire truck and they're just like, well, what the hell? Like, Gabby and Shay are just like, we read the ambo. I don't fucking know. Yeah. Also, turnout room sex. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. If you think of any more ways to bang on the Chicago Fire set. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness. Anyway. Anyway, we anyway. did have some listener thoughts about this. Um, Megan said, who's Dex? Gianna's brother. Like, I need to know more of Gianna and the Cruz brother's history. Now I understand why Joe was so overprotective of her, even if it was a little excessive. A little bit. I see it. I see it. Jessica said, to be completely honest, I wasn't a massive fan of the Gianna Joe dynamic last week. It wasn't really the writer's fault. I've just grown really tired of the overprotective brother trope because it tends to excuse you or it tends to usually excuse male characters being overly controlling and domineering in the usually female character's life and saying it's okay because they're related or he's just looking out for her best interest. I've just found it to be a trope that infantilizes the female character and implies they don't know what's best for themselves. Not totally in love with their dynamic now, but I did appreciate that peek into their shared history and seeing the reason why Cruz is so protective of her, and I'm definitely excited to see more from them. Really good point. Yeah, good, good mm-hmm. point. Yeah. But yes, I'm very excited to see more of them. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, next up is Stella. Our lovely Stella. Oh, I, I love it so much. I know. I love her. I love Stella so much. Just, she's the best. Yeah. The best. Brian, to take us through Stella, please. Yeah, so Stella, as we learned last week, got Girls on Fire approved for outside with, like, ten girls. And so she's got it going on outside, and Bowden walks by. And he just looks like a proud papa, and I just love it so much. <laughs> um, and he's like, I think you just, you know, might make firefighters out of these girls, which I love. Mm-hmm. But Stella does admit that, like, the one thing she is disappointed about is that Kylie is a no-show. And Kylie, obviously, is the girl from last season who kind of kicked off the whole Girls on Fire thing. And is, I mean, Stella calls her her superstar. And Bowden's like, well, sounds like you've given up. That's not the Stella kid I know. So that pushes, you know, that lights a fire under Stella. And Stella takes it upon herself to go track Kylie down at the donut shop where she's working. And Kylie basically explains that she can't really do Girls on Fire anymore because she has to work to help out her family who was affected by COVID. And Stella's like, you know, I get that, but just know that, like, you know, the program's here for you whenever you're ready. But Stella doesn't also let it go that fast either. So Stella ends up getting Kylie a job at the firehouse um, so that not only she can have the money that she needs to support her family, but she can also still do Girls on Fire. So it's a total win-win. Um, but I just, I love Stella being a mentor to Kylie. I think it's one of my favorite things Fire's done in a long time. And I'm really excited to see more 
I'm so glad we didn't abandon this. Me too. I'm really, I'm really glad. I'm surprised too. I'm surprised, but I'm glad they didn't. Yeah. Um, but Catherine had a thought and she said storyline with Kylie is amazing because they got actually got in there, actually got in the unemployment problems that are in the world because of the pandemic. And it also showed that Stella really cares about her girls and what happens to them, not just for the promotion or the awards. Did I mention Stella is my fave? Because she is. Stella is my fave. Yeah. But I, it is a good point that they, again, showing a slightly different way to um, the pandemic that we otherwise probably wouldn't see. So. Yeah, so after that is Severide. Oh my god, this <sighs> like just like take all of our feels and put them in a blender and just like turn it on high and like that is what this was. I didn't think when the episode description said Severide cheeses a memory. I didn't think that's what this meant, but I'm glad it was. I mean, obviously that's the first thing our our minds went to. Right, it was like oh, it's got to be Shay in the door. But also we were like we. You know, we always overthink things. We're like, no, it's got to be something else, like something with Benny or something with Anna or something. But nope, nope, just right, right for the kill. Okay, so mm-hmm. after the incident, Severide asks Stella how bad the rig is. She's like, what's going on? Like, or what's the deal? And she just very casually is like, oh, it's totaled. And she doesn't really think much of, like, much of it. So this begs the question still. I mean, we do you think... I don't think Severide talks to Stella about Shay at all. I don't know. Besides that one comment, I don't really know. Because I feel like she would have been able to pick up on it if he was asking about the rig. She would have been like, oh, the door. Maybe. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. A question but even Miranda. regardless if he doesn't talk about, talk about her to Stella, Stella knows that the door has Leslie's or Shay's name on the side of it. I. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So Bowden has basically assigned Gallo and Ritter to help him. And so Severide asks him, asks them to track down 61. Poor Blake. Like he tries so hard to get along with the squad guy or the, yeah, the squad guys. And it just doesn't really. Compete. It never works. It never works. <laughs> he tries so hard though. He tries so hard. I know. He's such a little cinnamon roll. So funny. So he looks at Severide and he's like, well, why does the squad lieutenant want to track down an ambulance? And he's not asking to be a dick. He's asking because he genuinely no. wants to know. Like, he asks questions to learn. Yeah, and then Severide's such a dick back. Yeah, he's just like, well, why does a truck newbie want to get all up in my business? <laughs> he just wants to learn. Yeah. So funny. So funny. So Gallo can't find the ambo, but of course Severide figures it out. Which, like, that scene when Gallo goes to Severide and, like, retraces all of his steps. And Severide's like, stop. Are you telling me you didn't find the ambo? And Gallo's like, I'm really sorry. Like, <laughs> my bad. So cute. Poor Gallo just wants to be one of the cool kids. He does, though. He really does. Yeah. So, so Severide goes to the junkyard. Can't get in some sort of, like, he needs some sort of authorization and he can't get in. So what does Severide do? He scales the fence. Not just scales the fence, scales the barbed wire fence. What a badass. Just Severide things. But actually, though. I swear the man is an Avenger. Like, there's no way he didn't scale that fence and, like, his jeans got caught on the barbed wire or something. There's some, like, that definitely happened. But, like, maybe he just doesn't feel pain. I guess not. I I don't know. I don't know. Just separate things. Separate yeah. things. Yeah. So yeah, he pulls around back, hops the vents with barbed wire. Just Kelly. Just Kelly. 
Um, and he sneaks his way in. And everybody knew when this happened, we were like, oh, he's going for the door. Like, definitely the door. But also, then it begs the question, I mean, he's got the Mustang, right? But the Mustang's not, like, huge. How did he fit I know! Where does he put it? I don't know. I don't know. I feel like if you are driving around Chicago with the door of an ambulance tied to your, like, top of your car, that's gonna raise some suspicion. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Like, chances are CPD is probably pulling you over. Yeah, I, I don't know. But I did think about that, too. I was like, where the fuck did he put it? Okay, the only theory I've got is, like, maybe he was able to, like, put the passenger seat down and lay it across the back like that. That's my only guess. Put the passenger seat down in a Mustang? Yeah, like, you know how, like, you have the latch and you can, like, fold it over? In a Mustang? I don't think that happens in a Mustang. It's a four-door, is it not? Yeah, but, like, I think the trunk, I think it's one of those cars where, like, the trunk, you know, is, like, right on the, I don't, you know, like, I don't think you can really put the back seat down. Well, no, I mean, obviously the back seat's in the back seat, but he's got the passenger seat that he can, like, pull the latch up on and fold it over. So Oh, the passenger seat. I thought you were talking about the back seat. I was like, that doesn't make sense. I got you now. I got you. Um, And now we've completely overthought this, but that's the fun of it. (laughs) So, uh... Severide rolls up to the next shift with the door. And like when he when he first rolls up to like the 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 scrapyard, like I just kind of was like, oh, the door. Like I know it's the door. And I just kind of felt it. But then like the minute he rolled up with the door and like we knew exactly what it was, I was like, I just the tears like welled in my eyes. I was like, oh my god, like my feelings. I know. I was yeah, I was like sobbing at this point. Oh my god. So he like, he and Casey put the door in, and Gianna and Gallo and Brett are standing there. And Severi just, like, it, it, the, the explanation he gives for, like, the name and everything, it's just beautiful, so. Yeah, she rode on 61. She was part of the DNA of this firehouse. She was our friend. So much new blood at 51 these days. Pretty soon, the people who never knew Shay are going to outnumber those of us who did. They should know whose shadow they're walking in. My only thing here is I really wish Stella was in this scene. Yeah, I do too. Um, it kind of, I kind of forgot about, though, that I forgot that Brett didn't know Shay. And that Brett, I mean, basically replaced Shay. But, like, I kind of forgot about it because Brett's just been around for so long. And I was like, oh, right, Brett didn't even know Shay. In my imagination, I, 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 I would think that Brett's, like, curious about Jay. Yeah, I'm sure she was. In, in the beginning, you kind of see that, too. Like, when Brett first arrives at 51. Yeah. Obviously, they're still dealing with the fallout from Jay's death, so. Yeah. 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 So. Oh, it's a total, like, Hamilton moment of, like, who lives, who dies, who tells your story. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Who lives, who dies, yeah. who tells your and Severa- story. Everett is the one who tells Shay's story. Just, you know, let that soak in for a second and see if you cry. Uh, yeah. Yep. 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 I asked myself, what would you do if you had more time? Oh, yeah. No, I'm just going to sit here and make myself cry. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, my God. Yeah. That's a shirt. Oh, uh, who lives Shay and Severide. Yeah. Shay and Severide with the Who Lives Who Dies Who Tells You Story. Oh, that's my a shirt. Heart. My heart. Um, yeah, and so, I mean, the explanation Seb gives is just beautiful, and, like, yeah, yeah, beautiful. 
So Megan here, Megan said, I loved the shaver head nod. Yes. Yes. Wasn't it just like perfect? Mm -hmm. It really was. It really was though. It, and it's been a long time since we had talked about Shay and it was just, it, it was really perfect. It was a really good touch. Like, a, it, it, yeah, it was a really nice, like sweet touch. Like to that, that's something that I would look at the writers and be like, thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. It, yeah. yeah. Because the minute we saw those promo pics of the Ambo and the shape it was, we were all just like, oh, the door. Um, and not just the door, but Sharky. R.I.P. Sharky. R.I.P. Sharky. Yeah. I was really hoping that like somewhere along the episode, Sever would be like, oh yeah, I also pulled this from the Ambo and like pulls like Sharky out of his pocket. If we, if he did, that would be the first Mills reference in like a long ass time. For real. But actually though, but actually though. Maybe, like, I'll just, like, make the happy headcanon in my head where, like, maybe Brett sends Mills a message on Facebook or something and it's like, the shark's gone. And Mills just, like, sends her another one. Ugh. I know. I know. Just bring Mills back. Just bring Mills back. Don't get me wrong. I'm thrilled that we saved the door. But it would have been even better if we saved Sharky, too. Ugh. TBT. I know. I know. So... Anyway. Megan said, Shay's door is irreplaceable. So happy they talked about her and told her story to the next generation. Her legacy lives on. But actually, though. Yep. Yeah. Just my heart. Yep. So, last up, we've got Gallo and Ritter. Our little millennials are just, you know, doing millennial things, being adorable. Yeah. Little I love the millennials. I love the millennials. They're so funny. So, Gallo and Ritter see Bowden struggling with the coffee machine. First off, I love that they came back from the call and, like, you see Blake stop and talk to Joe and Gianna, but then, like, just, you know, they're done with the conversation and immediately they just immediately pair right back up. Like, I know. Dynamic duo. They really uh, are, though. Yeah. So Bowden's been struggling with the copier since no civilian has been able to work in the bullpen. And like, while this is happening, Blake's like snacking on red vines that have been there for a year, apparently just. Yes. And like, honestly, just the fact that it was red vines and not like Twizzlers or something else. Like, again, such a millennial thing. I feel like I just love it so much. I feel like everything those two do is just adorable. It really is though. Mm -hmm. It really is. Yeah. And also the fact that they were helping Bowden with the coffee machine, again, like the old guy who can't work technology, just like, again, such just millennial things. I love them. So Bowden was bitching because the copier made a two-sided copy, and he's like, that's just unacceptable. What do you have against trees, Bowden? Geez. <laughs> I don't know. Wasting Bowden paper is like Bowden. a huge pet peeve of mine. It makes me cringe. Like, I hate it. Really? Mm -hmm. I'm weird, but whatever. So, um, Gallo and Ritter offer to help Bowden with the paperwork. So in the locker room, Herman and Mouch are just like giving Ritter all of this crap. Um, and I loved how Herman was like, oh, um, I, you know, we, we started serving cocktail drinks at Molly's and like I basically made sure that like Stella handled it by not learning how to do it. Such a Herman thing. So Herman. Such a Herman thing. So Ritter's like, it's not a big deal. Bowden needs the help. And now just teasing him, but also walks away like the proud papa that he is. So adorable. So Ritter, Herman, and the rest of Engine, they're riding back from gassing up the rig. While Herman is going on about starting Boys on Fire, which again, only Herman would come up with that idea. 
Right. Ritter's like a person who's like, that sounds like a cabaret bat or cabaret act. Mm-hmm. And then Herman's like, well, what about boys? Don't they need encouragement? And Ritter's just like, I think boys get plenty of encouragement. Why, why does Herman have to say these things? I get it. Like, right. It, it's Herman's shtick. He's old fashioned. I get it. But like, is it really truly necessary for him to still make these remarks in 2020? I, no, but again, it's, it's the Ritter. It's the, I mean, not the Ritter, the Herman shtick. Like we're never going to not get rid of it. I'm just saying they will never not get rid of it. They may alter it a little bit. So it's a little less offensive. Uh, but it's never going away. Right, right. So um, they're carrying on this conversation, and the Ritter actually just kind of sees a bunch of people screaming from a train platform. So, I mean, yeah, Ritter just kind of like his spidey senses go off, and he's like, stop the rig! And he basically runs to the train platform and sees that a woman fell on the tracks right as the train is coming. So, yeah, this is like, Crazy, because yeah, he sees the, the trains coming first off. He looks at the sign on the tracks and see the tracks are like electrified, which I mean, yeah. And I mean, when I say buzzer beater, oh my god. Um, Herman pulls Ritter and the woman up on the platform, like pretty much as the train is passing. Yeah, like with point zero 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 two seconds left. I mean, damn. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. So later on at Molly's, Mouch pulls Ritter aside and Ritter notices that Mouch is using his pen, but Mouch decides that, you know, now's the time to give it back to him. And this is just like such a feelsy full circle moment. And we never see this kind of vulnerability at a Mouch. I was full on sobbing at this point. No shame, just like full on sobbing. So Mouch says, he's like, this isn't just about the rescue. It's you taking all that work off Bowden's hands, and it says a lot about you. You're not just a 51 for action and glory. You're there to help people in ways big and small, and you never expect anything in return. Us old guys, we taught you how to be a firefighter, but now you're starting to teach us. (sighs) We've come such a long way from, like, 602 when Mouch found him scared shitless in the stairway. You mean 702. 702. That's what I meant. Um... Yeah, we've come such a long way. I know, we really have, though, and it just makes my heart happy. Me too. Me too. So, Megan said, I love that Ritter's getting more action. That save was beautiful. His relationship with Mouch is awesome as well. It's about time Ritter got a save. I know. It's been a long time coming. A long, long, long time coming. Big time. Um, and so Catherine said, Ritter and, Gal- Ritter and Gal are the cinnamon rolls of 51 and need to be protected at all the time. Yes. Um, and the whole I save a pen for you thing is a moment of fulfillment for Ritter and a confirmation that he belongs to this job and in this life, Ritter belongs to 51. Yes. 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 yes, yes. yes. Any other notes on fire? No, I think that's it. All right. It's PD time. Let's do this. So I uh, I wasn't a huge fan of this episode. Because of, like, the Kevin storyline or the fact that they wasted half an episode on the case or both or what? And, okay, so, so yes. Yes to all of it. Um, the case was too heavy. Like, so heavy that we lost the Kevin stuff in it. 
Pete, that PD's problem right now is they're doing such a good job for the most part with all the other stuff, like the actual personal stuff. I don't care about the case. Not at all. Like at all. And like even last night, I was just like, okay, like, yeah, I, I literally could not even told you what the case was about last night when I was watching it. I was like, oh, Kevin, like, oh, let me see what happens. The retaliation. Ooh, like I was so into that part of it. And even right. today when I was outlining the case, I was like, I still don't care. <laughs> yeah. I don't care. Yeah, exactly. So I think that was part of it was that, I mean, they're doing such a good job with the Kevin stuff right now that everything else is just not important. And the scenes between Voight and, um, and Miller, I was just kind of like, okay, let's just get past this, please. Like, come on. So I, don't, uh, I think my thing with the Voight and Miller stuff, and I guess we can just talk about it right now, because why not? Or should we wait till we get to like one of those scenes? Whatever you want, man. Okay. I don't understand what the point of that dynamic is. Like at some points last night, and maybe this was just me, I don't know, was like it kind of a little flirty. Like I don't understand what they're doing. Uncomfortable, right? That scene when she gets the stain on her shirt and she was like, Can yes! you see this? Is it see-through? I was like, Oh, this is making me uncomfortable. Stop it. I was like, I was like, is this supposed to be flirty? Is like what is this? I was like, this is weird. I don't know. I don't know how to feel about it. I yeah, I don't know. Not no, no, not here for it at all. Uh, yeah so like that was hard the case was hard and like they made sure that Atwater was a big part of the case too obviously of course because they were trying to show that patrol had abandoned them right so uh-huh. uh, they went so heavy on the case that it was just hard to it was hard to keep track of what was where and it was just it was just like droning on and on blah 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 whatever stuff oh god Ruzik got shot and then just like blah 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 oh now Atwater's yelling okay now I'm gonna pay attention well, and it's also the second week in a row that the case has never really been, like, solved. Yeah. Like, it kind of was like, oh, they caught the guy. Okay. Was he really the guy who killed him? I mean, I don't know. But... Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So, um, so Kevin starts off, and he's putting up a security system in the house. Um, and so Jordan's like, what, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And so Jordan says at one point, he's like, maybe those white cops will realize that they're the racist pricks on the wrong end of a revolution. And Kevin just says, revolutions are never that fast, Jordan. And Jordan's not the first one to suggest in this episode. He's not the only one who suggests like, maybe things will be different later on down the line. Okay, so you're just suggesting that Kevin sit back and wait? Right. Yeah. I mean, I like, at least with Jordan, I mean, Jordan's a teenager. He's still, you know, there's still a lot about the world he has to learn. I don't, you know, I'm not, I don't fault Jordan for that being his like line of thinking. Yeah, true, true. Um, So Kev gets to work and his radio doesn't work. He can't log into the computer in his car. Uh, He mentions this to Voight and also, you know, that he was jumped. And he still won't let Voight go to IAD. And so, yeah, Kev's just like, I appreciate the offer, but, like, we knew that this is what was coming. Like, Kevin wants to handle this his way, the right way. He does not want to back down, and I cannot fault him for that at all. No, and I don't think he wants Voight, the white cop, to be, like, the white savior either. Yeah. Like, he wants to do it his way. Well, and, and yeah, he wants to do it his way because he knows that he, he, he knows he did nothing wrong. Yeah. Which it still just blows my mind that he is coming under such fire for simply speaking the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So messed up. So messed up. So um, in the middle of investigating the case, Kevin gets a call from Jordan. Basically, the security alarm went off. It just turns out that somebody had bugged their house. 
well, not just, but I mean, Kevin's like, dude, they bugged the freaking house. And Jordan's like, what are you doing? And he finds it in a light switch. He's like, no, like, here's the fucking mic. They bugged the house. What were they hoping to find? Just like, oh, like him plotting against them probably, right? Yeah. I was going to say, otherwise it's stupid. Yeah. He and Jordan watching basketball. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So... Kevin, or yeah, so Ruzik comes in after when they're like, they're both looking at the surveillance video, trying to figure out what's going on. And Ruzik mentions, he's like, okay, well, maybe it's time to try and figure a way out of it. And the minute he said that, I was like, Adam, not you two. Come on, dude. Yeah, I know. So uh, he says, he's like, Kev, they're coming after you. Like, if there's something that we can give them. And Kevin says, I'm not giving them anything. I did nothing wrong. I told the truth. They jumped me. Why does Kevin have to keep defending himself like this why does he have to say i did nothing wrong like 10 times every episode like how are people not believing him i mean i think at least with ruse i don't think it's that i don't think it's people are not well boy maybe but like i don't think it's that ruse obviously not believing him i think ruse simply just doesn't want to see his friend in pain anymore and like by obviously trying to fake like at some point it's like you're literally driving yourself insane like it let maybe it's time to figure a way out of it just so you can like get some sense of normalcy back. I guess, I guess, but I mean, I it's just like any of us with the COVID stuff. Like, the, is there normalcy for any of us anymore? No, but whatever your new normalcy is, then maybe not like the old normalcy, but like whatever your new normalcy will be. Yeah, yeah. So, um. Kev basically questions Platt at the district about who didn't show up because there's there's a call that happens and stuff. And so um, Patrol basically like just completely abandons them. Like they have no backup, nothing. And so Kevin questions Platt about who didn't show up and she ends up telling him that Mackenzie was one of the tag guys, which, okay, I like, I feel like Platt, I, I, I feel like Platt should have more power to deal with this than she does. Yeah, I like, I think this Millie made me realize, like, what is Platt's actual job then? She's the desk sergeant. I mean, but... But, like, what does that mean? Yeah. Like, at that point, it almost kind of makes it... And I'm not saying that this is what Platt is, because Platt is more badass than this, but, like, is Platt just a secretary? Like, the front desk secretary? Like, that's kind of what it makes it seem like. Right. I know. I know. Which is, like, a whole other thing. But, yeah, that's kind of what it makes it seem like. If she doesn't have any kind of authority that comes with being a sergeant then she's basically just the front desk secretary yeah yeah i mean yeah i don't know i don't know quite what happened with that but um kevin goes to find mackenzie and like platt had to know he was gonna go find him right mm-hmm. oh yep. yeah so kevin goes to find mackenzie and he's like this is what we're doing we're letting cops get killed and mackenzie's just like no like i don't want to do it he is giving orders he being nolan and he says, he's like, this is how they do it. Like, they make you scared of your own shadow. This is how they break you. I don't trust Mackenzie any further than I can throw him. I know. I, but I mean, I do, I do believe that it's not just like Mackenzie doing it. Be like, yeah, let me pick, go pick on Atwater. Like, I do think Nolan probably was giving, I mean, obviously clearly giving the orders, but yeah, I still don't trust Mackenzie. I mean, but Mackenzie's in a position where he can't step up to his boss and say, no, this is wrong. The blue wall, Gina, the blue wall. This blue wall's bullshit. Yeah, I know, but the blue wall. Yeah, it's bullshit. I did have a bit of, like, a realization. Um, I'll, I'll save it for when we get to the Voight scene. So, um, 
So Kevin's like, well, fuck this. I'm just going right to the sorts. And he goes and confronts Nolan outside the district. And he says, come for me, not my unit. Good cops that don't have anything to do with this. Like, do not come for my unit. And Nolan says, I'm going to keep coming for you anyway. <laughs> Sorry. Any way I want until I have your badge. A, I wanted to punch him. B, that moment when he's like, basically, Atwater's like, Doyle was a gladiator cop. And Doyle says, well, he was already dead. And then you essentially killed him again. I was like, oh my God, are you that? Yeah, that was not, not, no, 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 no. Are you that blind to your own privilege? Apparently. Oh my God. Yeah, it really, it... It made me really mad just because, like, I, I don't want to say I see his point. Like, I do, I can understand why he sees it that way. I'm not saying that's the right way to see it. I can understand why Nolan sees it that way. But, like, that's not what happened. That's not the situation. Like, clearly you're just going off of, like, what everyone else has said. Like, I, that is not what happened. The comment that he made about, he was like, well, I mean, his kids have to grow up with this, like, horrible image of him, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, hang on a second. They deserve to know the truth. I mean, yeah. what's, what's, okay, so if the kids are small right now, what's, what's better, okay? Making them think that their, their dad was a hero, like, the whole time they grow up, and then just what? Like, hitting them with a harsh realization when they're 18, or letting them know the truth off the bat? Well, it depends on, I- I think it depends on how old they are. Like, if you're, like, five, I don't think you're telling them that, oh, yeah, your dad died because he, you know. Like, I don't think, you know, if you're five years old, you're not telling your kids that. Right. But, like, if the kids are, like, 12 or 13, I would hope. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, it's so fucked. And I think there's a better, I think there's a better way to obviously prove, or to say that, too. Like, you were trying to say, like, explain it, you know, that whole scene where, He's like, you know, you left their kids with a dad. Like, well, if the kids are 12 or 13, I think there's a way you say that, like, you know, your dad wasn't perfect. You know, he, I think there's a way to explain it to kids. That's not. I'm way less forgiving than that. I'm like, I'm not going to paint it as like, your dad wasn't perfect. Like, no, your dad fucked up. Well, but no, but like, you have to be a little more sensitive with like 12 or 13 year olds. I think you like with kids. This is why we balance each other so well. I think I think you can still explain to them why what Doyle did was wrong without actually being like, you know. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. So Kevin calls Boyd to meet him in a parking lot. And this scene, oh my God. Okay, so Kevin says, Kevin's like, I have two options. Like, let you make a deal for me or hand over my badge. How are we talking about Kevin losing his job for speaking up against a racist cop? How did we get here? Okay, this is what I don't understand, though. So then Boyd's like, I already talked to Nolan, and basically your deal is that he would put a beef on his record, meaning, like, it's, like, an official complaint. And Boyd says, you know, it means you never made detective and, like, basically never leave my unit. But what I don't understand is, so what is the official complaint about? I don't know. Like, you know, I mean, like, from what I understand, it's not like Kevin broke a protocol or any, you know, like, I don't understand. If you could say, like, yeah, Kevin didn't do this right when he, you know, was making his statement. Okay, fine, sure. Like, catch him in, like, a clerical error, and there's his, you know, official beef. Okay, cool. But, like, so what? Kevin's getting the official complaint because he talked to the IAD? Like, I don't understand. 
Okay, I have two theories on this. So I think one of them can maybe be about him confronting Nolan outside the district, maybe. The only other one I could possibly think of is after the very first time we meet Doyle in, what, season six? Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the episode, Atwater takes him outside and beats him up. That's the only thing I can think of. But that has nothing to do with Nolan. But that's a way to get a complaint on his record. But does Nolan even know about that? I feel like the only people who know about that are Doyle and Voight. Okay, yeah, but also, but Voight said, when Voight said it, he was like, I would put a beef on your record. No, I thought that, no, I think it's Nolan. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Because then why, if if Voight was doing it, then what does that have to do with Nolan? Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's a mystery. But yeah. I just, like... This seems, the, the way that we're setting things, like the, what we're setting Kevin up for here is scary. It's either, you know, it's either he sits in, the, in his job in the same position forever and just kind of doesn't go anywhere, doesn't grow in his career, or he just is not a cop. But Kevin doesn't want that anymore. Like, Kevin even says, he's like, I'm not taking that. And then Boyd's like, well, then you won't be a cop anymore. And then Kevin says, like, maybe I don't want to be a cop anymore. It's crazy. And, and yeah. it, like, I, I mean, granted, the, the, the first Chicago Heroes event was two years ago, and we've slept since then, obviously. But do you remember in the Bridgewater meet and greet how Kevin was, like, sometimes I approach this as, like, Kevin doesn't want to be a cop? Yeah. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have wonder if I can find that audio. I can. Yeah. I, I know I can. Um, yeah, and he says, he's like, maybe I don't want to be a cop anymore. And then he says that, you know, he just kind of explains himself, and, and it's just, it's poignant, so. I'm constantly looking over my shoulder. I'm mad. Every hour, every minute, every second, I'm mad at Nolan, I'm mad at you, I'm mad at Rosie. I'm mad at every white cop that feels like they can make a deal for me. Every cop that's done this job the wrong way, which means I'm mad at myself. So mad, I don't even think I could do the job the right way anymore. Then do it different. Do it different. That's the win. You get to do it different. And Nolan skates. Nolan. Nolan. Wait, he polices. He's not going to last another year. And what's the point of giving him a damn thing? Because it's not a new world yet. It's just not. I, I have no words. I mean, I don't know. There's just, there's, there's so much here. I know. And it's, I don't know. I feel like sometimes it's hard to really talk about this stuff as a white woman, just because I can't relate and I don't understand. And I feel like I I just, I, it's so hard for me to articulate what I feel about it just because again, I don't understand and I will never get it. Um, Yeah. I just feel really angry for Kevin. I did too. But I will say again, this scene I think was, Lorice's like one of Lorice's best scenes so far. Yeah, I mean, insane, insane. And like that, that next bit that happened where he, you know, Kevin's like, "Well, what would you do? Like in my skin with this world, would you do that?" And Boyd says, "No." And he says, "I'd say you're a good cop and a good man." And you ask me, as soon as you're not one anymore, they're winning. I feel like if this had happened in season five or season six, I'd be like, "Wow, like that's really special." Boyd has so much faith in Kevin. In season eight, after what we've seen out of Voight for the past, you know, two, three seasons, whatever, his words of affirmation are worthless now. They mean nothing to me. 
I agree. I will say though, I do a I agree with what you just said that like this doesn't necessarily do anything for me, but I also agree with Voight. And I think this was like the right thing for Voight to say to start for the wheels to start turning in Kevin's head. But also how I mean it, it's totally rich that he's like, well, one of the options is, you know, you could let me make a deal for you and they'd put a beef on your record and you wouldn't go anywhere. And and then he turns around and is like, no, I wouldn't take that either. I mean, I don't know. Like, I just, those are the, well, there is a third option, which we'll get to in a second. But like, those are the options, but like just because those are the options doesn't mean you have to want to take either one of them. I know. So like I don't, you know, I, I agree. I I wouldn't want to take one of those either if I were Voight or if I were Kevin. Yeah. So Kevin breaks into Nolan's house and just waits for him at the kitchen table. And he's just like, I'm gonna tell you how we're gonna get out of this. And Nolan's like, that's not how this works. And he's like, Oh, it is if we take the third option. So the third option would be that Kevin sues Nolan and CPD. Details, everything that's happened, the harassment, the intimidation, the dope, everything. And he basically says, you know, I would basically get to stand on a podium and call you a racist in front of the media. And he just lays it out and he goes, I don't want to give up this job, but if you keep coming after me, any member of my unit or any other cop, I promise I will give it all away. I will make it my job to come after you and I will destroy you. He let you're like, what possessed him there in a second for a second. I love it though. This is, I mean, Kevin I love, yes, he had, I mean, yes, but that wasn't even why I love this scene so much. I love it because I love seeing Kevin stand up for himself. Absolutely. And, like, he could have obviously just said, like, yeah, put the beef on my complaint. Like, yeah, or I'll give up being a cop, which I, it's TV. That wouldn't have happened. But he could have said, you know, like, yeah, I could just suck it up, like, get the beef on my record, whatever. But, like, no, Kevin's going to stand up for himself because, again, he didn't do anything fucking wrong. No, he didn't. But think of, think of the ramifications of this that we're setting up. There's only two ways out of this, right? So, I mean, if we if we take – Option one, where Voight makes him a deal and, you know, he stays, whatever, that's great. Well, this is exactly what Kevin didn't want. And in Kevin's eyes, he loses, right? He tried to stand up against racism and he lost. And that, to me, is not an option to Kevin. Maybe it's just me, but I kind of thought that this scene set up a third option. Well, the third option is the lawsuit, but I'm, I'm grouping it no, together. No, 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 A different third option. A fourth option, then. Whatever. What is it? That, like... By Kevin coming here and, like, basically kind of blackmailing Nolan, they're fine. And that, like, when Kevin put his uh, badge around his neck and put his gun, took his gun from the table and put it in his holster, like, that was them being like, you know what? We're kind of even. Like, this is it. Oh, so, like, that squashed it. That's my, that was my read on the situation. Maybe I'm wrong, but that was my read on the situation. Oh, maybe I missed that. I don't know. Maybe I, I don't know, but that was how I read it. But if that's the case, are we satisfied with that resolution? I don't know. I think it depends on what happens next, or not next week's episode, next episode. Um, I don't know. I don't know. 
listen, I'm all about what's to come this season, that we're going to get Berzik, we're going to get upset and everything, but I don't want it if it means wrapping this up as abruptly as we, I, I, I'm not for it if all the Atwater stuff has now been wrapped up. I don't know. I, I don't know. Interesting. I don't know. So, I mean, yeah, option A is they make the deal. Option B is, B and C really is he gives up his badge. And see, I don't think they're going with any of those options because, A, because it's television, but B, like, I just don't think they are. So, like, that was why I think my take on that situation was that Kevin coming to blackmail Nolan just kind of made them even because Nolan doesn't want Kevin's third option. Obviously, have to watch that back. Yeah, that's just my read on the situation, but. Hmm. Hmm. Um, so the episode ends with like Kevin pulls up to his house and there's a bunch of little boys outside of the house playing with the basketball and um, you know, he gets hold of the ball, it just bounces out of their way and he goes to hand it back to them and the kids just kind of run away because they see the badge. Yep. And so it just kind of, you know, Kev's got, Kev's got a lot of thinking to do. Yeah. yeah. I'm angry for him. I'm scared for him. I will say I love this end scene because I love that they do show this, like this happening to Kevin because Kevin obviously takes that more personally than anybody would. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that like black men or, or black boys specifically in this case, um, like look at him and see evil. And like, that's not what Kevin wants. Right. And like the, I think Kevin takes that to heart. And so I really love that they ended with this scene. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, we got a lot of listener thoughts on this one. So Megan said, I'm happy that Hank finally showed that he has Outwater's back. Go off on Nolan. He deserves it. I still don't trust Voight, though. Yeah, I don't either, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. You know why I don't trust Voight, aside from the fact that he was, like, gaslighting him last week and then went off on him like a crazy person, but... Voight has done nothing but benefit from the blue wall throughout his whole life and his whole career. He's benefited from the blue wall. So I think part of him wants to protect it. Yeah, but I think that's also just Voight's old school nature too. I I think he might be struggling with, you know, the, the decision. Like he's struggling with it too. And, and like, you know, do I preserve the sanctity of the blue wall, this thing that's been around my entire career, or do I protect my guy? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um, Bella said, I love how Kevin managed to turn the situation around and his conversation with Voight was incredibly deep and heartbreaking, which I really appreciate given it really emphasizes the implications of being a black cop. And Catherine said, I'm hating Voight. It was like he was telling Kev he got his back, but as long as he does what Hank says. And no, Kevin has all the right things to do things his way. Oh yeah, all the right to do things his way because we know that what Voight's ways are and that's exactly what the world is trying to change. Yes, yes. Hank Boyd needs to realize the old ways are not the only ways. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So. <sighs> so if we go through the case, I mean, I feel like we don't really need to get into the details. We can just kind of hit the high points, right? Yeah. I was going to say we should like speed through the case. Okay. So basically an alderman's son is found at the scene of this murder where his friend has died. And she so the friend is dead and she's like covered in blood and they basically find billy the alderman's son and he's just like he's high as can be 
but he's hugging her body. He like, he won't let her go. And so, yeah, so he's high out of his mind. So Boyd meets with Miller at the district and Miller insists upon charging this guy with murder, like immediately. She's like, no, he was holding the murder weapon. Like that's that charge him. And Boyd's like, okay, well wait, first off, he's high AF. Like, why are we going to do that? So mm-hmm. I, the, the problem, like I, it's, it's important to note here that like the problematic angle of this case stems from Miller. It doesn't stem from Boyd. Yep. That's important. Is she going to end up just like all the other characters like that? Like where they, tr- they, they, they present themselves as good and then they turn out to be bad? I don't know. We'll get there because of the end scene. But yeah, we'll get there. Yeah, true, true. Yeah, so, um, yeah, B- Miller just wants to know if he knows the alderman. And Boyd's like, no, like I don't. Leave me alone. Um, so they're already interrogating this kid as he's high, which like, why? How does that help anything? Like. Yeah, I know. Just, yeah. Just, it, it, no, no. Um, and yeah, she wants the murder charges ASAP. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, the, the case goes on. Things are happening. Basically, the, you know, the, the son is like, no, I didn't kill her. A man did. Like, another man did. Um, and they try to unravel this, this part about, like, you know, him being high and everything. And so, um, Miller basically yells at Voight because Voight refused to charge him with murder as quickly as she wanted and Voight just says, Voight's like, what if the kid in there were black? Would you be ordering me to charge Ace up? Because I think that if that were an 18-year-old black kid in there with no rich family and no politician father, you wouldn't be pressing me to charge until it felt right. Is Hank out of line here? No, I thought he was spot on. Yeah. So finally she backs down and is like, fine, you have like the full 48 hours, whatever. So they track everything down, they're doing their work, and basically the whole gist of this is that patrol is not helping intelligence. Every move they make, patrol is just like ghosting them. So it comes to a head when Berzikwater, they go to find this guy, and they're calling for patrol, they're calling for backup, this chase ensues, and Ruzik is shot. I was not expecting that. I was not expecting that. can, Can we not? Can we not? Right, especially in episode two, like, can we not, please? Can we stop shooting our faves in episode two? Okay, thanks, bye. Is this the first time Ruzik was shot? Second. He took one in the vest in season one. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. He did. Yep, yep. So It's been uh, a long time, though, so. Well, and I think, okay, so I think, I think the, the reason, the, the fact that we didn't see it coming softened the blow a little bit, because, like, that shot of him when, when Burgess runs in and you see him just, like, unconscious, like, slumped over, like, laying on the ground, I would have flipped shit, but otherwise, like, since I wasn't really processing what was going on, I was just like, he's fine, I think? What? Yeah, it definitely caught me off guard, though. I was like, wait, what? You did not just kill Burgess. <laughs> I was like, holy shit. Oh, man. I, I thought at first when the gunshot went off and they had the camera on Burgess, I was like, okay, well, obviously this is a fake out. Like, they didn't shoot Ruzek. And then they cut to him on the ground, and I was like, oh, maybe oh, crap. they did. Oh, fuck. Maybe they did. Um, and he had just, like, a horrible, awful bruise, which explains why Patty was shirtless that day at filming. Yes. Yeah. Definitely explains it. So that's, like, the big part of, like, the whole case is that, like, Ruzek ends up getting shot in the vest, but still. Um, and yeah, and it bruises and it's just bad. And so when Kevin can, <laughs> sorry, <coughs> when Kevin confronts Mackenzie, that's when 
Ruzik and Burgess are getting back from med. They totally went to med. Like, just let that sink in for a second. Burgess totally took him to med. And like, yeah, he was all like, I'm good, I'm good. And she was like, shut it. No, you're not. Just let that sink in. Um, <laughs> and so Adam goes to separate Mackenzie and Atwater and Kev like accidentally kind of hits him. So poor Ruzik, man, just like bubble wrap him. I know. At all costs. Protect at him at all costs. All costs. Ruzik's another one whose hair is just on point this season. I know. The long hair game is really working for a lot of people. It really is. It really, really is. It's just perfect. It's perfect. And, like, he wasn't wearing the yellow plaid this episode. He was wearing blue plaid, but still. Mwah. Like, beautiful. <laughs> beautiful. Um, also, Jay in that, like, shade of blue that he was wearing. It wasn't a Henley. It was just, like, a solid color shirt. But that shade of blue works for him. I know. And he even tweeted that. And then, like, a lot of people were like, yeah, I agree. And I was like, yes, I, yes, I do. But then, of course, they immediately cut to the next day and Jay was wearing brown. Can I just, can I just go on the record? No, not a good, it's not a good color on him. It's Thank not. you. That's what was, I don't think brown is a good color on him. It's not. Like, any shade of brown. I mean, not that any color is a bad color on him, right? Like, I mean, Jesse Lee Soffer can pull off anything, pretty mm-hmm. much even a trash bag, but, like, if we're having to rank them, brown is at the bottom. Brown is at the bottom. Blue is way the fuck up there. Like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. yeah. <laughs> um, so, Ruzik's fine. You know, he gets banged up a little bit, whatever. They finally get the lead on this guy, Tim Rollins. And every time they said Rollins, I was like, are they talking SVU? Are they, like, I do, and I don't even know SVU, but that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. So basically there's a moment where they, they track down Rollins and Ruzwater finds him. They tackle him in the backyard. And I mean, poor Ruzik, he's just getting up and he's just sore and just, oh. And Kevin's just like, I'm sorry, bro. And Ruzik just has this, I mean, Ruzik's got Adam's, like Adam, Ruzik has got Kevin's back. <laughs> like, yeah, that, without a doubt, without a doubt. Thank God for Adam so far this season. I know. Thank God. I know. Yeah. So, um. Yeah, and so Adam has this really nice moment, and here's the clip. You got no reason to be sorry. You do know I got you, right? We all do. You are not alone. So thanks to that, I mean, they track down Rollins, they snatch him up, and Sam congratulates Voight for closing the case. And yeah, there's this moment where she just says, she's like, look, I get it. You look at me, you see everyone that came before me. Kelton, Woods, Brennan, they hated you. I'm not them. I'm something new, Hank. Okay. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. I don't believe that for a second. It is weird dynamic, though. Like, going back to our conversation earlier, it is such a weird dynamic. I don't really understand what her... I mean, I understand what her point is. I'm not... I, I understand why she's here. But, like, it's weird. And that, that, that stain scene was just weird. I don't, I don't know. So uncomfortable, right? It was just weird. It was just so weird. So uncomfortable. Like, and it was even more uncomfortable because she was like, can you see it? And then you clearly see Voight avoid, like, averting his eyes. I'm like, this is so, ugh. Like, stop it. Yeah. So Megan said, in terms of Hank being out of line after talking with the deputy soup, I'm going to have to disagree. He made valid points during his speech. The case definitely needs to be solid. Yeah. Yeah, I agreed. I thought Boyd was spot on with that comment. But also, what are we doing? Are we setting Sam up to be the villain? Because I don't know if I'm in favor of, you know, them basically taking season eight after everything that's happened to put Boyd back on a pedestal. Right. I don't know. I don't, I don't know where this season is going. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. 
Because this is basically, what we've studied is basically how they wanted season seven to end. I'm imagining, right? Like, I'm imagining this is the stuff that would have gone down in episodes 21 and 22. Oh, man. And so them saying, like, Outwater's, like, the only options for Outwater are a deal or his badge, like, that, I could see that being the season finale. Right. So I have a feeling this is kind of like the reworked end of season seven. Mm-hmm. And then hope now we'll be moving into, like, season eight stuff, I'm imagining. I don't know, though. Man. But. Yeah. Any other notes on Chicago PD? No. This was a good one. I mean, I think last week's was, like, maybe slightly stronger, but this was still really good. Yeah. So, a lot less stressful than last year's midseason finales. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> but now we still have to wait, like, six more weeks. It's okay. We just did seven freaking months. Six weeks or nothing. I know, but still. Nothing. So, um, as always, you guys know where to find us Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, sort of, whatever. Um, meet us at Molly's right across <laughs> the board. Email us anytime, seriously, anytime. Meet us at Molly's at gmail.com if you like the show, which we really hope you do, because you just made it to the end of another two hour plus episode. Please take a moment to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. We would so greatly appreciate that. It does really help other shyhards find the show. So thank you so much for helping us with that. Uh, follow us individually on Twitter. I am at Gina Watches TV. Brenna. I am at Brenna K13. I almost just jumbled my words and was like, I'm at Gina K13. Glad I didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're taking next week off, and we hope that you do too, because it's been a doozy of a year, and you know we all deserve to take some time to ourselves with our families, you know, whether it be in person or socially distanced. So, um, yeah, it's been a crazy year, but there's 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 still some things to be thankful for. So I am so thankful for this podcast. I'm so thankful for all of you. I'm so thankful for you, Bryna. You took the words right out of my mouth, Gina. I'm so thankful for you. You're my ride or die. Really though. Mm -hmm. You really are. I'd follow you blind. I'd follow you blind. (laughs) Hell yeah. Hell yeah. So uh, with that said, everybody have a good weekend. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Happy, healthy, stay safe, all of that good stuff. Um, Yeah, and we will see you not next week, but the week after. Bye.